back for Cigar Talk, the fastest growing cigar show in the nation. Whether you're a new cigar enthusiast or a cigar aficionado, we have something for everyone. Bringing you the best interviews, cigar reviews, and weekly giveaways. So grab yourself a cigar. It's time to light them up. Hey, welcome back to Cigar Talk. I'm your host, Rob Jones. We have co-host with us today in the studio, Bryant Falconer. How you doing today, Bryant? Hey, man, I'm doing good, doing good. Awesome, man. So uh, let's go ahead and get started with the show and talk about what we're smoking. I'm going to let you go first. Hey, man, I'm smoking a Deadwood Crazy Alice today. And, of course, I've never had one of those. <laughs> it's a really peculiar-looking cigar. Yes, yeah, cone-shaped. But the thing about this that I love, it's uh, an oily Connecticut uh, leaf on it. And it's like, it has a taste of cocoa or uh, like a chocolate, but man, it doesn't overpower those, uh, the mocha and that spice to it. I uh-huh. mean, man, she's cone shaped, but don't let this lady fool you. She's here to please. Well, and it's also short. Oh yeah. I mean, what's, what's that about a three and a half? Three and a half. Inch? Yeah. But I'm telling you it's worth it. And if you guys haven't seen one, it's like on the, uh foot where you light it it's probably about a 50 ring gauge yes, 50 ring and then gauge. the uh the top where you're actually puffing on it and man that looks like a probably like a 44 mm-hmm. 46 yes sir yes, i mean sir. it's pretty small yes sir and so but i'm she, th- i'm thinking i'd smoke one of those in about 15 minutes nah you give me about another 15 minutes to that 30, 30 minutes yeah to give you okay. 30 minutes to me 45 almost an hour all right i guess because the beauty of it man it, it, it it's a smooth smoke it's cool. It's crisp. It's something like I tell you. It's it's not overpowering, and this lady's here to please, bro. But you don't think it'd be probably my type? No, not you. All right, that's but for cool. me. A cool smoker is perfect. I got you. Because <laughs> he thinks he's cool. Oh, I am. I am. Uh, so anyway, I'm smoking the uh, Alpha cigar, uh, the Maduro infused with absinthe. And I tell you what, this has become one of my favorite cigars. I was told people in the past it was really a surprise, yes. but the more I smoke it, the more I like it. Yes. And, yes. you know, and I was talking to someone the other day about, oh, I think it was Jay at the Leaf. Okay. And, you know, when I first started smoking cigars, and I think a lot of people do this, they start smoking and then they find one that they like. And then that's it. They, they're not trying they're anything new because yeah, they done. found the cigar that they think is perfect for them. And, you know, before we started doing this show, that's how I was. Uh-huh. I had like three or four go-to cigars, and that's all I smoked. Okay. And now, I mean, you know, I smoke <laughs> everything. I, I'll smoke anything <laughs> once except for a Trader Jack. Uh, but anyway, if you haven't smelled the Trader Jacks, oh, You'll understand man. why. You'll understand. Yeah, why. it'll make you sick. Oh, I mean, it's it's just a two dollar stick. So I mean, you understand, yeah. But anyway, speaking of this Alpha cigar, I've been just really impressed with them. The constructions have been fantastic. I've bragged about that before. But the actual uh, uh, infused Maduro, man, I'm telling you, it's come a long ways for yes, me. Sir. You know, I yes, was sir. I was just like, wow. The first time I smoked one, I was like, okay, this is good because the absinthe is not overpowering, right? 
It's just it's it's there. You know it's there. You can taste it, but you get to taste the rest of the cigar. And, it, and the, the thing about it is, on the finished third, oh, yes. that last third, it comes on not <laughs> but, the absinthe, mm-mm. but it has a good punch yes, to it. Sir. And you know, I like a medium to full, and I would say this is probably a little bit more than medium. medium. Mm-hmm. But that last third comes on and kind of hits you in the face and go, "Hey, man, don't forget you're smoking yeah. me." <laughs> it so, makes you thankful that you had it, yes, right? Sir. So, and as long as I'm speaking of Alpha Cigars. Uh, that's one of our sponsors, and uh, we appreciate them being a sponsor and believing in us and liking the show. And so we just want to give all the love back to them. And if you haven't tried them, go out and smoke one. Shoot me a message and let me know what you think. And I want you to go in with it open-minded because mm-hmm. whenever I went in, I was not open-minded. Yes, yes. So anyway, uh, as long as we're talking about sponsors, let's talk about our other one, which is Hiram Bring Solomon. Bring them on. And you were smoking one today that I haven't had. Oh, Tell man. us about that the one. Grand Architect. And what? how was that? I haven't had one yet. That was a smooth stick that it lets you know, just like you said, it lets you know, hey, I'm smoking this stick. I'm here. But it has a taste all the way through. That last third was a power pack. It hit me with some things. I actually had to put it down for a second and sit back. I was like, okay, yeah, you hey, wanted them. When you, you wanted them. Hey, when, you, when I asked you about it earlier, <laughs> yeah. you said you got a buzz Ooh, off of it. Yes, I did. Yes, so, I did. Yeah, so I, I brand wanna, architect. I, I'm going to smoke one of those tomorrow. Yes, sir. I didn't know we actually carried those at the shop yes, or I would have already had one. Yes, sir. So anyway, hey, and also we want to give a shout out to San Diego Jack. Junior, Junior, man, uh, we we got a big surprise earlier yes, this evening. We were at the uh, Leaf as always, and uh, we had uh, a listener come by, and he's in town this week, and we got to hang out with him and smoke cigars. And man, it was just it was great hanging out with somebody from yes. somewhere else in the country. He's from California, and we just hung out and smoked and talked about cigars and coffee and life yes. and what he does for a living. And I mean, it was just really good to get to know somebody yeah. like that. It, and he's cooking tonight. Yes, and, and he's we're going to go back bring, tomorrow. Yes. All right. So we always love anybody who's going to yes, feed us. Yes. Anyway, let's get to this week. We're going to be introducing the co-host, and I know he's been on the show. You've heard him, and but we don't really know much about him. Yes. So I thought, when I say we, I mean y'all, because I know too much about him. <laughs> Stop. But that. anyway. Uh, I thought we'd take this time to let you guys get to know Brian a little bit better. So I'm going to go ahead and basically do an interview with Brian and I'll probably throw him under the bus a couple of times, but I can believe it, <laughs> you know, it's like Ed says, do your arms ever get tired? <laughs> so anyway, you grew up in East St. Louis. Yes, sir. East St. Louis, Illinois. Now, is that where you were born? Yeah. Born and raised. Born man. and raised. Born and raised. And you went to school there. Yeah. You, Lincoln uh, Senior High. Lincoln Senior High. And then... Yeah. You uh, also uh, played sports there. Yes, sir. You were a football player? Football player, yes, Basketball? Uh, no, because our basketball team was too powerful. Uh, my skills did not uh, equate to being even on the fourth string for a Lincoln hey, High School basketball. Hey, let me tell you something. <laughs> I tried out for the basketball team. Uh-huh. And after tryouts, man, I was feeling pretty good, you know? You. <laughs> and the coach said, hey, Rob, you made the wrestling team. <laughs> 
So that's what happened. I was like, I was thinking, right, I'm going to play me some basketball. Yeah. And the next thing I know, no. I'm wrestling. And I'll tell you what, though, I was so happy afterwards because I loved wrestling. Okay. Man, did you ever do any wrestling? Yes, in high I school? did. That's I a did. tough it's sport. It's a tough sport. It's a, and it's stamina. A, it's stamina oh. and dedication. Yeah. Because you have to be dedicated to wrestling high school. Man. It, there's, no, there's nothing that you know, even comes close to it. I played football since I was in junior high school. Dude, and let me tell you, when you're on the football field, yeah. you get a breather. Not when, when you're, you're wrestling. wrestling there you is take a breather, oh, you're on the ground. You're, you're right. on the mat. You're on, you're on the, the mat. mat. Yes, Back sir. down. Yes, sir. So. You know, Lincoln was known for uh, uh, basketball and track. So I actually practiced with the track team in the off season. I practiced because I, I, I was fast, but I was nowhere near that fast. Right. So uh, it kept me in shape hey, for football. Let me tell you this: in the off, well, it wasn't off season for me. I didn't have a choice. Oh. I was on the track team, <laughs> and I ran the quarter mile. Oh, bruh. No, I'm That's not the work. worst one. Yeah, I hated the quarter mile because it's a sprint. Back. Oh yes. So what was crazy though? Was uh, I wasn't good enough to go to the meets. But you were good enough to practice. Yeah. So, and let me tell you something. I was the only white guy on the quarter mile team. So I'm running, and I I remember my best time ever, which is a 51.3. Okay. For a white but guy, that's, that's not bad. Yeah. But my brothers on the team were running 49s, 48s. And I mean, dude, when you're running the quarter mile, someone's beating you by three and a half seconds, they're way, way up ahead. there. That's correct. So That's correct. I, I, I hated running. And the coach just did it because, you know, back then I played football and they wanted me to stay, stay in, in shape. shape. Yeah. And I was like, Man, is yeah, there not something else I could do to stay in shape? I that's how I got running. talked into practicing with the uh, track squad because Mr. Marshall, who was our disciplinarian at the school, but also the, head, the boys' head track coach, he came to me my sophomore year and he told me, he said, Faulkner, you running track. I was like, no, I'm not. He said, oh, yes, you are. He said, but you're doing it to stay in shape. And Mr. Marshall looked like the black version of the kingpin. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, right. He was a huge, tall man with a bald head. And when he talked, you listened, and you did whatever he said. Oh, there was yeah. no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He said you did it, you did it. Yeah, and back when we grew up, oh. it was either licks or yes, running. Yes, sir. And or sometimes both. Both of them. <laughs> it's like, you go run 20 laps and then meet me in my office. Meet me in the office. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, and it sir. was like, man, by the time you got done running all those laps, you were so exhausted, you were just happy to go get licks. So Yeah, and I – only time I left East St. Louis was to go to college. Uh, I went to play football. Uh, Where'd I wasn't you go? Ready. I, I went to uh, my first year. I went to Lane College in Jackson, Tennessee. It was HBCU. Tennessee. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know you went down there. Yeah, I was down there for a year. Uh, didn't it didn't pan out the way I thought it would? So I came back home my uh, sophomore year and went to SIU Carbondale. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when I realized mentally I wasn't ready for college. I wasn't. Uh, trying to be a pre-med student and play football and then having this uh, new freedom. Well, and, wasn't and I'll tell you this, dude, me. I don't know how it was where you went <sighs> to school, but there was no preparation for no, 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 college. No. And see, the issue is I should have stayed at Lane <laughs> because the year I went to Carbondale, they had just got voted by Rolling Stone magazine as the party school of the nation. Nice. And, they and, and you did. participated. Oh my goodness! Come on now. <laughs> you know I went to Texas Tech. Okay. And Red Raider. Red Raider. Yeah. Guns up, baby. <laughs> so anyway, 
I went to Texas Tech, and, you know, for like the first three weeks, every day I'm going to my classes, checking it out. And then one day I was going to go by the UC and get a snack. Okay. And when I went in for the uh, UC, I go in there, and these all these other college students hanging out, joking around, eating, yes, drinking sodas. Yes. And that's where all the girls were. So that's where you gravitated to. <laughs> I never went to class after that. I go to the UC. I'd go to my first class, go to the UC, UC. and then I wouldn't make any other yeah, class classes, the rest yeah. of the day. And I remember I was at the UC for like three, four days in a row instead of going to my political science class. <laughs> I show up to my political science class one week, uh -huh. and they're like, pull out your 682 sheet and a number two pencil. We're having a test today. And I was like, I don't know nothing about a test. <laughs> and so. I'm, I, I like how you said I showed up one week. Right. Well, I showed up, and so I don't even have the test sheet. Oh, you have on, to bring your own test sheet. Oh, so you were really. So I hauled ass across the texas tech campus which is huge uh -huh. to the library i buy a book of test sheets i haul ass back test over no <laughs> this was a major test okay so i sit down i don't have a number two pencil <laughs> You know what I did? What? I got up and walked out. Yeah, I just said done with <laughs> it. I'm done with it. And so then, like, the next week, I run into the professor, and I'm like, hey, uh, my uncle died, and I wasn't able to take the test last week. And you know what she says? <laughs> what was that? Bring me proof. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, with proof, so, I'll let you take hey, it again. Hey, so then I went straight to the admin, and yes, I dropped the class. Dropped that class, yeah. What I should have done with the other classes, too, because I just <laughs> quit going. So I'm not a college graduate, guys. Uh, you know what? 90% uh, of getting a degree is showing, showing up. up. Showing so up. anyway, yeah. so what did you do after you got out of uh, college? I came back home and I uh, made a decision that I needed to do something. I went down to the recruiting office and uh, signed up with the United States Army. Oh, nice. Yeah. I went to the Army as a medic in 91 Bravo at that time. The MOS has changed and uh, I was stationed at Fort Lewis, Washington for three years. Uh, met my ex-wife there. Uh, her father was a first sergeant. So, um, so was, was that was he your sergeant? No, 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 no. Oh, no. I was like, you don't date your sergeant's hey, daughter. Hey, I'm just saying. I was that's trying a bad to be idea. I was trying to be political. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, and, you know, I met my uh, ex-wife. Uh, her father was a first sergeant. He uh, actually retired right after we got together, and uh, I learned a lot of things. And uh, it, the army was perfect for me because made you grow up. Oh, most definitely. Because coming from East St. Louis. If you go into any branch of the military and they ask you where you're from, you say East St. Louis, everybody looks at you a different way. Yeah. Because East St. Louis has a reputation. Well, yeah. And it's not just military. No. Anywhere you go Most when you say you're from East St. <laughs> yes, Louis, people are like, yes, dang. Yes. And uh, what it gave me was discipline, and it helped me understand what true loyalty was. Yeah. You know, when you have a person depending on – their life is dependent upon you doing your job – that is the perfect that, that was the perfect opportunity for me to grow and uh it gave me an understanding of who and what i wanted to be as a man uh i got out i came back home to east st louis uh started like i said i had a wife at this time so i had to do some things that made sure that she was taken care of right i started working on the railroad so well, let's back up a minute uh -huh. because I know this already. I want to make sure everybody else knows. While you were in the military, uh -huh. what happened? You started smoking cigars. Yes. I don't want to leave that I out. I got introduced to the Monte Cristo. There were 
three sergeants that I hung out with, Sarge, Staff Sergeant Pearson, Sergeant Warren, Sergeant Vaughn, and Specialist Singletary. These gentlemen introduced me to the Monte Cristo and smoking cigars, and I was hooked ever since, and that was in 1992. Nice. So you've been smoking cigars for like 27 yes. years. Wow. Yes, yes. And they, they introduced that community to me. To be the ability to come together. And we also played football together because I played on the fo- uh, post football team. Yeah, and I didn't even know they had football yeah, in the yes, military like that. They have all sports in the, in the military. They, uh, the U.S. Army actually has a, a track team that goes around. They have a basketball team that goes around. And I'm not talking about just the United States. Uh, when I was in, they, they travel uh, internationally. They go over to Europe and play. Wow. But uh, I was on the post team. I was running back. And we get done with practice. We go – Find us a place to sit and chill. And, uh, you know, it's not right after practice to drink you a little bit of bourbon, but we did and smoke cigars. Nice. And I sat there and I, I, I drew off of what those gentlemen had to give me. Because, like I said, I'm a I'm an E3. And these guys are E5s, E6s, and E4. So I'm getting information and I'm learning how to progress in the Army. And I, I truly appreciate those gentlemen for that. I yeah. really did. And it was all because you got into that community yes. of the cigar smoking. You yes. learned a lot. Yes, I did. Because you listened. And that's, that's the thing did. about the whole cigar community. And when I'm at the shop, you know, I do some talking, but I also do a lot of listening, mm-hmm. especially when we get the older guys in and they start talking, man, I, I shut up. And they sit back and they, they, they fire up them a stick and they get comfortable. The wisdom just flows. I mean, it just flows. And Absolutely. That's what, I was, that's what I was introduced to. And I loved it. And from that on, then on, I was a cigar smoker. You know, you, could, you couldn't stop me. My, my wife at the time, she looked at me, she's like, what is up with you in these cigars? I said, you just don't understand what it does for me. It allows me to calm down. It allows me to, to recollect and just, you know, get to a space where, okay, I can finish the rest of the day. Right. You know, you go through hectic, yeah, crazy stuff during the beginning of the day, and then that comes in and you're like, okay, now I'm ready. So Now, I'm going to interrupt you for a minute. Uh-huh. How's that cigar going? I'm telling you, it's good. It's, it's smoking good. It's, yeah. it's ugly. It is ugly. But you don't worry about that ugliness when you smoke it. <laughs> hey, well, you saw that picture I posted oh, earlier. Yes. That was ugly. That Holy was moly, ugly. that was ugly. And you know what? I still smoked it. Come on. I mean, you know, as long as it'll puff. And you enjoy it, yeah, you keep boom. smoking it. But so, then, anyway, so you get out of the military, and you go to work for the railroad. Yes, I started and then working for What did you railroad. do after the railroad? I left the railroad and became a police officer. In East St. Louis. In East, I started off as an auxiliary officer in East St. Louis, Illinois. I see. And it's, then how long were you a police officer in uh, East St. Louis? I, start, I was there for an auxiliary officer as a year. And as an auxiliary officer, you're doing this for free. Oh, man. Yeah, you're doing it for free. So it has to be a love. It has to be a love there. And how, I, do, how does that work, that, that you can work and not get paid? Uh, you're, it's called auxiliary. <laughs> I get that. but <laughs> And that's what they put it under, auxiliary. You are not a paid officer. So you're just volunteering, volunteering basically. Volunteering your time. And do you are you scheduled? Yeah. I mean, they're like, hey, we need you here. Yeah, we had a schedule we followed. Uh, you showed up. You got to keep your uh, your badge in your position. And while there. So how many days a week did you do that? I actually did it four days a week. Man. And I was with me and another brother of mine, uh, Antoine Smith. We were the uh, transport officers on uh, Saturday because East St. Louis had a Saturday court. For, so if you went, if you got arrested Friday night, you didn't have to wait till Monday morning to go <laughs> go before the judge. They would pull you, go to Saturday court, and if you didn't have your money, it's like night court. Oh yeah, yeah. Put you in the back of the paddy wagon, and I'm driving you to the county, baby. I got you. And uh, I did that for a year, 
and then I, I really loved it. So I said, okay, this is where I'm going to pursue. And then I was divorced at that time, so it was just me. And uh, I got hired on with the Venice, Illinois Police Department full-time. Went from there, academy, everything, and just enjoyed it. Cool. So how long did you do that? Eight years. Eight years. And then after that, you decided to move to Texas. Yeah, I moved to Texas. And uh, most people who are in Texas will tell you that if they're not from here, they got here as fast as they can. (laughs) So anyway, you moved down to Texas, and I I remember someone offered you a job, and then they gave it away to someone else. That was the craziness, man, because I I really – I came down here on the premise that I was going to get hired with an auto dealership because I had sales in my background also. While I was volunteering, I was I was selling cell phones. I didn't know selling crack counted. Cell oh, phones. Cell phones, sorry. Not sorry. crack. I arrested crack dealers. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, and uh, there was some drama with that that wasn't mine, and uh, I didn't get the job. Uh, so I'm here, and like I said, I and you're not going to tell us which dealership that no, was. No, I won't divulge you're, that. Because you're 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 a some somewhat of a stand-up. You have guy. class, yeah, somewhat of a stand-up guy. See, but, I'd be raking them over the no, coals, man. No, I would, no, but I will I'm, say this: we've never bought a car for right. <laughs> My wife actually one time tried to go down there buy a car. I said, "Where?" I almost said that, yeah. <laughs> and I was like. Uh-uh. No, you're not spending my money down there. Right. And she's like, what? But it's a, no, 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 no. So we went and bought one from the bank. Anyway. Nice. Uh, <laughs> and this is what y'all don't know, because this job basically got pulled out from underneath him, that he was desperate for a job, and he actually went to Allsup's, which yes, is sir. a convenience store. Yes, sir. And so you had to swallow your pride. Swallow my pride. Because you've gone from working the railroad, you've gone from working at a, as a police officer, yes, and all of a sudden, bam, you're working at a convenience store. I and I'm not knocking com- working no, at a convenience store because no, I've no, done no. it before myself. Yes, when I was 19, I worked at one until we got robbed. <laughs> and we got robbed while I was there. And so oh. I was like, hey, man, here's my two-minute notice. Two I'm minute done. Notice, yeah. Yeah. So, but it was- you know. When you when you go from those jobs, yeah, because I went from making seventy thousand a year coming here to making to six bucks $6 an hour, six dollars and twenty five cent. And yeah. but I loved that job. Yeah, I loved it because it was my escape. It gave me an opportunity to get back to who I knew I should be. Like I said, that army was still in me. Yeah. No matter what, that army was still going to be. I had I had to make a way. And you, you take pride adapt. in oh, whatever yes. you do. Oh yes, you know. And then doing that and and taking some form of pride in my job and making it you know, a necessity, the Lord blessed me to move up. Right. I started, like I said, I started driving for CityLink, which is the city bus here. And because I already had that license, a commercial license, and it, it branched from there to working for the state. See, I couldn't even, I couldn't do the city bus thing hey. because people would be nagging about your driving. Yeah. Did, did that happen? Yeah, but. Like I told him, I said, I'm like I'm slamming the on the brakes. No, no. <laughs> hey, you want to see some driving? Yeah. So anyway. Because no, there are other people in the bus that, do, that hey, didn't say hey, anything. It's all for one, one for all, baby. So anyway, uh, and then you got on with the state, state, yeah, state at of the Texas. DMV. No, I started off at DADS, What's which is DADS? Department of Aging and Disability Services. I oh, okay. security out there. I watched monitors for eight hours a day <laughs> to see if they were, you know, abusing the people that live there. And I branched from there to an investigator with DSHS, which is the Department of State Health Services. Uh-huh. The next step was the DMV as in, sec- in executive now, management. When, oh, so you went from that to the management yes, position. Yes, Right into being a bureaucrat. Crack. Yeah, right into as Bill would call me as, a as, bureaucrat. As the preacher man <laughs> the preacher says, man. <laughs> and then so you've been there now for how long? 
I've been with the state for 10 years. Wow. Correction, nine years. So how long do you have to be there to retire? 10 years. That's it? 10 years you're vested. No, well, so, but you're vested. You can't can't retire in 10 years. They they go by what, you can retire, you can leave in 10 years and get a pension, but it's not nowhere near what you could have done. If you do the age and the time. Age and the time, which is the rule of 80. You know, your age and your time of service adds up to 80. You you get 75%. Ours is 70. Ours is 80. States is 80. Gotcha. And then after you... After the rule of 80 is full retirement. And I worked for a gentleman that retired from there after 40 years. Wow. It's the only job. He, he started there at eight. At dad's, he started there at 18 years old. And at 58, he had done 40 years. Wow. He retired. He was He's a pastor, too. He retired. He said, when I got ready to leave to go to DSHS, he came and applied back. Wow. <laughs> and the reason why, he said, I'm finished with the honeydew list. I have nothing to do now. So, well, you know, and I think I see that a lot. Yeah. Uh, people retire, and, then, and they either find stuff to do, and they're healthy and vibrant, and you know, just going, mm-hmm. or, or they go home and they are miserable yeah. because they don't have nothing to, nothing do. to do. So, you know, if you're going to retire, you really got to have something that you want to do, Afterwards. or just keep working. That's right. And what he did was he came back. We call him Double Dippers because he's still getting his retirement and he's getting another check from the right. state. So we call him Double Dippers. Well, I know a guy that has been working since 74. Ooh. So that's 45 years. Yes. I He won't retire because he knows that if he does, that it, life's over. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you got to respect those guys because they know. I met a guy at CityLink that had been driving for 50 years. That's crazy. And they wouldn't force him to retire. That's awesome. As long and, as he can drive. As long as he can drive. And that's all they wanted. He was he was punctual. They could count on him because he was there every time. And if they needed extra, he'd volunteer for it. Yeah. A solid guy. Solid, solid guy. guy. Anyway, that is pretty much sums up everything you need to know about Bryant. There's a bunch of other stuff <laughs> yes. that promise me you don't want to know. Yeah. No, I'm just messing with you. He's hey. a good guy. Uh, we're so happy to have him on the show. And uh, I just wanted you guys to have a chance to get to know who he was. And uh, let's go ahead and talk for just a minute about how we met. Uh, Bryant was looking for a shop. Yes, I was. Uh, he found one basically by accident. By accident. Came right. in, sat down. I happened to be in there one day, <laughs> and I treated him like a stepchild. Definitely. Because, you know, I was just ribbing him and having fun. Being you. I was being me. And yes. uh, so anyway, he, he really didn't know how to take me. At first. At first. And then when he saw that I did that with all the regulars, yes. he was like, okay, all right, I, I get understand it. it. Yeah, because that, that East St. Louis that you took me from the army back to the hood, I was looking at it, I was like, oh, man, this dude asking for something. <laughs> and he don't want what he's asking for. <laughs> and then I sat there, and I just, like I do, I pay attention, and I might, I said, oh. He's like this. So that's just him. Yeah, oh, man, I'm good, Dan, because I can deal with that as long as I know who you are for real. I yeah, can deal you with know it. what's funny is, uh, and I'm sure y'all seen Bryant's pictures all over the place because he is a selfie queen. Yeah. Selfie queen. Mm. Bryant's what? Are you six one? Six even. Six even. Same here. Yeah. Anyway, Bryant's six one. <laughs> six no, even. <laughs> he looks six one because he always had a hat on. Yes, I do. And uh, anyway, big black guy comes walking in, <laughs> and I and I'll be sitting over. The crowd when he comes in, I'm like, "Hey, what's going on, racist?" Yep. 
and everybody just kind of looks around and <laughs> they're on their heels like oh yeah. what and i said yeah anyway yeah and, so. and they look like okay this look hey that's my guy right i here, like man. to throw a boomerang out and see who it hits yeah. <laughs> and how it comes back too. right so uh anyway we've been good friends yeah. for i guess about a year yeah maybe a little longer yeah. than that i remember uh New Year's Eve, uh, 18 and 19. We were sitting down in 2018, 2019. We were sitting down there, and I said, yeah, this is a great year. And I said, I'm moving into a new year with a new friend. Heck and yeah. he looked at me, he's like, yeah, anyway. <laughs> no, no, no. I said, who? Yeah, yeah you did say who. And I was like, you said, yeah, anyway. And I was like, yeah. And then you smiled. It's like, you know what, that's right. Hey, we hey. always have a good time. Oh, got to. Especially when I whip him at some Madden, you know. <sighs> I didn't say go. you don't whip me. I just, but when I whip you, I really have a good time. Yeah, because you love to talk noise. I do, and I, I hate losing. He, hey, <laughs> he walks into the leaf, and everybody's like, "Hey, I heard Rob whipped your, your ass. ass." Yeah, <laughs> and then I said, "But did he tell you about the three before that?" Nope. Ah, uh, 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 see, so yeah, let me let me give you a little education. Yeah. His ass got whooped before that one. Uh, yes, I take my fifty to the hey, zero. And what's I funny is it. you would get whipped. I would take a picture of the screen Always. after you left, and, and I would post- send it to. Everybody at the Leaf. I'm like, come on, man. (laughs) We want to let you know that we've got a great interview coming up next with Michael Rosales, the co-founder of RomaCraft. Yes, sir. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what. uh, Let's set the scenario up here. Uh, Me and Bryant went down to the headquarters at RomaCraft, and it was just amazing. Great people down there. The facility was way cool. Uh, I did post videos on that. I don't know if they're still available, but if they're not, I'll post them again uh, tomorrow. So they'll be uh, up on the show on uh, Instagram. And anyway, uh, we come in, and uh, Mike Rosales is at the school because it's his daughter's eighth birthday. That's correct. And so we're hanging out. They've give us a tour show us the whole place to give us some good roma craft uh, intemperance cigars and we're just hanging out smoking and then mike walks in and (laughs) man he's like moving 90 miles an hour i'm like this dude's solid business and he comes in he's like hey guys uh i'll be right with you i gotta jump on the computer and do some business so he gets on the computer and i'm like you know i'm real laid back you know really nothing is like has to be done right this second with me. And so, you know, I'm thinking, man, this guy's going to be like all business. Yes, I'm not the, real sure how this interview is going to go. That's came out yeah. intimidating. Like, yeah, yeah, and I was intimidated, oh, and nobody intimidates me. You know what true. I mean? And so, anyway, he gets done with his computer work, and he's like, so uh, what do you guys want to talk about? And I was like, well, you know, and before I could even say it, he was like, I really don't want to do a whole lot on the origins. And I was yeah. like, uh-oh. Oh, yep. So then he says, how long do you want the interview to be? And I'm like, uh, 30 minutes? Or, or no, I said 20, 20 or 30, 30 minutes. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. We can do that, no problem. So then... Uh, because this show is actually going to be a two-part show, because the interview was not 20 or 30 minutes. No, it was it an wasn't. hour and a half to yeah, two hours. And so we're going to break this up into two episodes. Uh, I've had feedback from the listeners that said some of them wanted to just do one big show. And then some of them were like, well, I don't really have time to listen to one big three-hour yeah. show. So what I'm going to do is break it up into two parts, and then, but we're going to release it at the same time. time yeah. That way, if you want to, you can just listen straight on through. Yeah. And if you want to save it for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of the next week for the yeah, second the one, you can do whatever you yeah. want to do. Yeah. But uh, anyway, man. 
man, we got a great interview with Mike Rosales coming up. And uh, uh, before we get onto it, I just want to tell you guys, the interview was almost two hours. But then whenever we got done with the interview, we stuck around for another hour and a half just, just hanging out yeah. with this cool dude. Yeah. And, I mean, a lot of stuff we found out about him after the, the interview. interview. So anyway, guys, we're going to have a quick little break, and we will be right back with Mike Rosales. Welcome back to Cigar Talk. I'm your host, Rob Jones, and today we are recording from Paradise. And when I say Paradise, I mean we're at the Romacraft headquarters. We've been trying to get here for a year, and we finally made it. Anyway, we have the co-founder, Mike Rosales, with us. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm very good. Welcome to the land of milk and honey. Oh, man, we love it here. Yeah, they get you uh, squared away with some, some something to smoke, something to drink. I uh, got an Aquitaine, one of my very favorite cigars. Okay, very good. What's and my man over here smoking? What you got? Exactly the same. All Aquitaine right. and my favorite Topo Chico. Okay. Danny, Danny's about to light some up. Danny, what do you got? Oh, this is the Intemperance BA uh, Avarice. Okay. For, for, uh, so people know Danny Vasquez is one of our, uh, he's my right-hand man. He's my go-to. Anyways, he, he also works here. He's been here about a year and a half, but... Uh, what do you guys think of the headquarters? Man, we love it. And you know what's funny is when we walked in the front door, I thought I was looking at your homepage. Okay, yeah. That wood in the background, mm -hmm. it was like, man, it reminds me of being already here just by looking at the website. Yeah, so when you walk in the door, you, you immediately get uh, presented to the Romacraft logo on the uh, on some, some old wood that came out of a barn. And we did that uh, three-quarter inch standoff that comes out really sharp, which is like very uh, very first thing you see as soon as you walk in for those who are not here they need a good visual so uh so yeah so that's you know what's funny is people get kind of stuck on that wall and they don't know which way to go so they left <laughs> right or whatever so when we get food deliveries they just kind of you know like wait for somebody to kind of come meet them so i got you yeah. well then we were uh greeted by your lovely wife and she gave us a tour and she was telling us about the weasel team yeah so would you kind of explain that to everybody uh so there are multiple levels of weasels um just kind of briefly uh so there's a we we have a trade show. It's called IPCPR. Back in the day, it used to be called RTDA, and that's uh, it's an annual convention. And when new media was coming up, when I say new media, podcast uh, websites that did reviews, those types of things, um, there was a an influx of people that were coming up saying, "Hey, you know, if you give me a box of cigars, I'll review, I'll do a review for for the cigar." And it's like, "Well, come on now, you don't need a full box uh, <laughs> to do a review," and so. Um, they decided to kind of ban new media members. And so mm. now there are some really good ones. There are people who put a lot of time and investment and, and you know, Cigar Authority and Half Wheel, Cigar Coop, and, and these guys that put out content daily, right? So they spend a lot of money, you know, and that's, 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 that's their job. It's not necessarily a hobby. But then there's also – so there's levels, right? So, sure. Um, so we thought it was kind of, you know, new media has always been good to us because we don't advertise Cigar Aficionado yeah. or Cigar Snob. Cigar Press, you know, not that those are, you know, we just don't advertise at all, right? Free so, advertised. Yeah, so the new media guys, you know, if um, they, they would give us the love, they would hang out. You know, they're younger. They're kind of coming up with us, right? So they're not. Um, so anyway, so we thought it would be kind of funny if we said, you know, well, we came up with the sticker with the weasel with the cigar in his mouth and said, I'm not allowed to ask for cigars, but that sure looks tasty. And so uh, we made an announcement. We thought that it was kind of silly that the IPCPR would not allow these guys to come into the trade show. <laughs> And um, anyway, so we said, well, you can come by. We'll hook you up, right? So that was kind of the thing. 
And so it just kind of stuck. And so there are levels of guys who are weasels. There's guys who never have a cigar that are, you know, they're that that want to smoke cigar when they come over, right? So there's that weasel. And then there are people who are, you know, um, constantly looking for the new, latest, and greatest, mm-hmm. right? So, um, oh, what's that taste like? You know, oh, I've never had that before. Oh, what's that taste yeah. like? You know, that's, that's a sneaky yeah. weasel. That's you know, there's, so there's levels. So now, um, then what started kind of happening is the guys who would follow us on social media and were like, oh, hey, I saw you guys blending this, or I saw you guys were working on that. How do I get that? Where's that? You know. And so you you pull something out and you kind of reward them for kind of following us on social media and kind of being engaged with us as as a consumer, right? Gotcha. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I'm a I'm a listen. I mean, Cynthia Fuente to me is kind of like the the you know the goddess of that, right? Like she was always like if you ran a Cynthia Fuente at anything back in the day, you know, she would pull out something like, hey, this is something from my my dad's personal oh, wow. stash or whatever. And so, you know, I give her props. She kind of started that and. Um, you know, and, and so we just kind of follow in that legacy. And, and so now there's uh, so the Zycar team who we've done a partnership with, with all the accessories that, that are kind of up in our display room uh, that are available at some of your local retailers. They, uh, anyways, they were, we had a local guide named John D. Oliver who actually now works for us, but he was a Texas territory rep and would stop by. And so when they were in Kansas City and they would do their sales meetings, yes. they would make sure that, hey, make sure you bring some of that Romacraft yeah. by, right? Yeah. So they dubbed themselves Weasel Team Six, which is you know which is where the the hashtag WT Six comes from, from, right? Okay. So the Weasel Team, uh, which is like next level uh, stealthy kind of weasel. Is there anything you want to add to that? That I leave anything out, Danny? No, it's, I mean it's funny how we kind of use it as our mascot and uh, also trademark, so don't get any ideas. But uh, <laughs> uh, we encourage it, you know, obviously with using the weasel, but at the same time it's. You know, no dry begging, just do actual um, weaseling. And we're, you know, we're professionals, so we can see it coming from a mile away. So, um, but uh, no, I mean, it's, it's a great thing. Guys take pride in it. You know, they love being part of, you know, getting the stickers of the patches that say Weasel Team. Um, so it's, it's a really cool and fun kind of thing to have available. You know. Well, I love the actual weasel on there. And I noticed it's on some of the cutters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's part of the Zycar stuff that we did, right? So they did uh, a Cro-Magnon set, they did a, a Intemperance set, which is one of our other brands, and and then they followed up with the Weasel team or the Weasel themselves, and they they thought, you know, and it it sells like crazy. I mean, it it's one of those things that uh, then he's got one on, he's got a one off. Yeah, uh, these weren't actually made. This is the Black Weasel with the rum. Yeah. So so back in so when we originally kind of started, they actually made like twenty five of those and sent us those and. Uh, you know, so it, it, you know, it's one of those things that you just kind of, it, it just kind of stuck, and now, now it's part of who we are, and it, as an identity, you know, and and um, never in a million years would I have thought that that would be our mascot, but it is. So, <laughs> so we're finding out that now everybody needs to understand that there are levels to being a weasel. Yes, you go from a regular weasel to a sneaky weasel to possibly a weasel team six. That's right. Now, so, it, and it's all self-appointed, right? So Yeah. No doubt. Some of the Weasel Team 6 guys, they know the game. So they'll get us stuff in kind of hopes, you know, they'll send uh, whatever it is, beer, other cigars. And then, you know, that's next level Weasel where they... Danny, show them, show them your jersey. That, got, that's next level right there. I got that, an autographed Ken uh, Hamlin jersey today. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah nice. so he was here earlier this morning. He stopped by, say hello. He's a, a Dallas Cowboy... Uh, was Seahawks was yeah. the, where he got drafted. Yeah, yeah. Played so, in the Super Bowl. He was uh, a receiver. 
No, he's a safety. Safety. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so anyway, so you know, I mean, that's that's kind of the thing. So you know, really, it's a one of the things that I think people kind of miss about the cigar industry as a whole is the camaraderie that comes along with you know cigar smoking, right? And one of the the best things that I've ever heard, you know, as far as cigar smoking is concerned, is that the cigar smoke itself is not necessarily something that's addictive. It's the enjoyment and the camaraderie that that comes along with it that that is actually the, the enjoyment part, right? So um, that's one of those things that I think that that people kind of forget about, right? So when you have a cookout or you you have a you know something like this and you invite people over, uh, those are those are things that I think people really that's 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 what's enjoyable, right? So when you light a cigar and you have good conversation and you get a chance to spend some time with with people that are like minded and and you know you can go into any cigar shop, right, and and you know strike up a conversation and really enjoy that moment with within that that community. Oh, absolutely, right. No matter what your social economic status is or where you come from or your background, you, know, you could be next to a lawyer, a doctor, or you know uh, you know up in New York City, the, the trash guys. I mean, they're the, probably the biggest. Um, I don't think they call them trash guys up there. I think they, what do they call them? They call them uh, sanitary workers. Sanitary guys, there you go. right? So, um, but those are the guys that are in the cigar shops, you know, and they smoke like crazy, you know. So they they get up at you know three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, they're done by you know twelve, and then they hang out in the cigar shops, right? <laughs> so, right. Uh, you know, same with all the other service guys that you know, firefighters and police mm-hmm. guys, and um, but so that's what I'm saying is that there's all types of walks of life that you can come in there and start up a conversation, and and that right there is really what brings this community together. Which it's the fostering yeah. of the neighborhood. Yes, yeah. we are a neighborhood of brothers. That's it. Not just brothers, but of people that come together with a like mind, and it's mainly about enjoying that cigar, enjoying that time together, and that's where we we speak about the brick and mortars. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a neighborhood, it's a home away from home, right? And that's exactly what you were just speaking on. Yeah. Daddy daycare, <laughs> aka. So, so um, tell us about how you actually came into working with Skip on forming Aroma Craft. Yeah, so so you know, kind of the the, the brief kind of origin story. Uh, Skip had a cigar shop in Galveston Bay um, that when I kind of was starting to work with him, he actually lived here in Austin with his family, but he had the cigar shop so uh, in Galveston, and so we would actually would meet up in the cigar shops around Austin, right? So at that time, how I kind of got into the industry, I, I had a guy by the name of Raul Dizla who works now at the Knotsa factory, but he worked with me here in the, in Texas um, at Heroes and Legacies here in Austin and in Lubbock. Uh, he, we also worked at uh, Elite up in uh, Dallas. We did Stogie's down in Houston. It's a lot of really good cigar shops around Texas. And so the idea and concept was, we would come in, we would roll your cigars, we would do about 2,000, and we would custom blend two or three different blends on site, and you would host him for, you know, two to three weeks up to a month, oh, sometimes, wow. sometimes longer, as long as, you know, you got him to and from work, and he could get back and <laughs> forth, and he was fed, um, but uh, and then the factory would actually recreate or reproduce those the house blends, right? But at least you could get instant feedback from you know, the guys who were buying cigars, whether or not they liked them or they didn't like them, right? So um, so we were doing, you know, we were bringing up quite a bit of tobacco. We were rolling quite a bit of cigars. And so it, Skip had heard about this and seen and met Raul. And um, while he was a big Camacho shop, so, he has, you know, he was taking guys down to the Camacho factory in Don Lee and um, spent a lot of time in Honduras and Nicaragua and, and was just a very passionate guy. And he was on, 
he was really a consumer first and then kind of invested in the shop. They kind of ran it mediocrely and then he decided to kind of take it over and him and his partner, Charlie, had it. And then uh, the hurricane hit. And um, But while he was kind of in that process, what he had done was he had built a really strong Twitter following. So back then there was no Facebook and there was no Instagram. It was just Twitter. And so um, he was using Twitter to kind of broadcast what was going on with the island, right? You know, this is this street is shut down and this is what's going on and just kind of giving kind of news information to people who had been down to the island, right? So he kind of created this this customer base because, you know, people don't, a lot of people don't live necessarily on the island, but they go to visit, right? So his customer, his shops were guys that came in and out all the time. So, um, so anyway, so when he approached me about, hey, I used to buy these cigars from Camacho, but when they sold to Davidoff, he could no longer get them. And uh, so they would go down there and they would buy, you know, stuff that was overrun or, or stuff that was no longer being produced and it had just kind of been aging and they didn't really know what they were going to do with it. But there might be, you know, 2,000 or 20,000 cigars and he would just buy them and then bring them up. And then he had an escaparate where he, uh, you know, he would put it like a breakdown of the cigar, kind of blend profile and then, you know, mark it up depending on how well he thought the cigar was. And so, but there was one that he kept going back to. And so he brought it to us and said, could you reproduce this here? Now, you know, I'm always like, you know, game on, challenge accepted, right? So, but the, the reality was is that we just didn't have the type of tobacco to do it. We needed thicker, heavier types of tobacco. And so Raul's brother, Esteban, who is now a partner in the factory, uh, ran a factory called Scandinavia, which is owned by General. But before that, it was owned by the Tarano family. So Charlie and Carlos Tarano owned Latin cigars, sold it to Scandinavia. And then whenever that happened, Esteban stayed on. Raul came to work for me. And that's kind of how that family kind of came together, right? So so I said, well, I'm going to be going down to Nicaragua, but we can work on this blend while I'm down there. And so we kind of gave them what we were looking for, you know, blend profile, the types of tobacco that we were looking for. And so Esteban, Raul, and I kind of got together, and then we, we kind of came up with the first kind of uh, phase of Pro-Magnon. And so um, I brought that back, gave it to Skip, and said, well, what do you think about this? And he's like, you know... This this is like we're you know it is better than what the other cigar had. Now that cigar that he given me had I don't know two or three years on it, smelled like cedar, you know. So I mean that's really hard to reproduce, right? But you know from uh, you know so we blended the very first Cro-Magnon, which was a broadleaf wrapper, Cameroon binder, Nicaraguan filler, and um, you know we made some minor tweaks to it, and he was like, this is a game changer. And uh, what's funny is is that we both had different visions for at originally because you know. This cigar right off the table was super strong, rustic, real toothy, and, you know, would put you on your ass. Can we say ass? Yes. Uh, okay. Yes. All right. So, uh, you know, so, I, you know, for me, like, I was looking for more finesse, you know, something that, you know, not necessarily like Davidoff or, or Ashton, but something that um, that was just not like, boom, this is in your face. And so he's like, no, man, this is what people are looking for. This is, this is a game changer. So now keep in mind, as a consumer – uh, at our local shop over here in Piper Old in Round Rock, he was running about a $2,500, $3,000 tab a month for the cigars that he was buying and smoking. He's not a collector. He's a smoker, right? So one thing that I can say about anything is that he could quickly tell you whether or not a cigar is marketable, you know, good for the market, you know, that he had that kind of insight as a cigar smoker, right? So very few people, and I think I smoke a lot, but I mean, I think, uh, you know, he he 
at that time was smoking probably two X, three X more than I was on a regular basis. Uh, so I trusted really what he was, you know, what he was thinking. And, uh, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, finesse, he's thinking to a full body in your face, you know, hit him, hit him one time real good. In the, in the, you know, and so anyway, so what ended up happening was he was starting to kind of post on Twitter the progress of this project. Right. And next thing you know, I have to kind of back up. There was a there was another podcast at the time. It's called uh, Stogie Fresh, which was by Doc Diaz, who at the time was the innovator for cigar podcasts. Okay. Like he was the OG of podcasts for the cigar community, and you know, but he was really methodical. Breakdown went to the you know fields and spent time in, in Nicaragua and Costa Rica, Dominican, and and was very uh, just tuned in into the industry as a whole. Um, and so, what was really kind of interesting was is that. Doc one day, one time, couldn't make it to IPCPR. So whenever the, the hurricane hit, Skip still wanted to go to IPCPR. So he said, Doc asked him if he would attend and do this kind of interview stuff with some of the manufacturers in his spot, right? So Skip at that time was a consumer, a heavy consumer, had a cigar shop, and also had some experience in the podcast side, which is where the weasel thing kind of came into because they were kind of peers. So here I am kind of working on the tobacco side, making cigars, selecting tobacco, importing tobacco, and, um, you know, Skip had all these other things, but he also, he also had a full-time job at Dell. So, um, but he, you know, he never had to go into Dell. He worked from his house. And so, you know, he would be up till, you know, he, he never sleeps, right? So he's up till four or five o'clock in the morning, you know, on, you know, on phone calls with Malaysia and India and whatever. So I would go over, hang out in his house in his, in his little man cave. And so whenever we brought the cigars in from, from Nicaragua and we're kind of talking about this, you know, was, you know, what do you think about? Uh, you know, this man cave pro magnet kind of idea. And I thought, man, um, you know, we just start kind of throwing names out, knuckle dragger and, you know, sizes. And, and so, you know, what, you know, the box is like this um, with the font that like something you would find in the museum that has a very specific font type, type font to it. And it's just very rustic. Like you would find it in the, like, you know, in the back of the museum kind of hidden and, you know, Indiana Jones kind of style, style, right? You know, so anyway, so it was like, yeah, yeah. You know, and, I, you know, originally I was thinking, you know, gold bands <laughs> and, and, you know, um, foiled, you know, I mean, just like, you know, kind of gaudy, right? And and he's like, no, man, you know, simple, right? And simple but substantial. That was kind of something that he always kind of preached. And I said, you know, let's just try it, yeah. right? So so all the guys on Twitter were like, hey, send me a five-pack of those. So I ended up making 5,000 cigars. I imported them in, kind of sold it to him and his company. And then he sold through them through Twitter. And then his daughters, his two younger daughters, who at the time were like, I don't know, 14, 15 years old, uh, and his wife would come over and they would stuff envelopes. And I was on the phone charging people's credit cards. And we blew through those <laughs> in a couple of days. Wow. Right? So anyway, so then, you know, the word started kind of getting out. And then all the shops that I was kind of selling, you know, making cigars for were like, well, what's this cigar that you've come out with that you're not selling to us? Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, well, it's not really my cigar. It is, but it's not. I don't really know. And so that was in 2010. In 2011, we kept going. And then I get a phone call in May of 2011, and they tell me that there's no more Broadleaf. So Skip's like, well, how much money do you need? Go buy some more. I'm like, well, it didn't work that way. And, and you know, which is funny because it still is the same way currently, right? So, you know, the Broadleaf, it's hit or miss. It's either really, really good or it's really, really bad. He's got holes in it. You can't make it. You can't use it. So, so we fly down to Nicaragua. I introduce him to Esteban. And, you know, um, 
it just became one of those things. So we ended up meeting up with Gustavo Cura, who's from the Olivas out of Tampa. They're the biggest tobacco producers, growers, um, one of them. And so they said, well, how much do you want? So how much will you sell us? So we go down, we put our name on, I think, 800 pounds of Habano, which is what we use for the Aquitaine. And then about 550 pounds of Broadleaf, which at the time, I don't know, it was like $350,000 worth of stuff, right? And I'm like, you know... Um, so what happened? You know what I mean? Like, what, yeah. what you know, how, how this, ha- you know, what are, we, what are we doing? You know, and, and so he's like, don't worry about it. And he had a, he had a vision, he had a plan. And, and, um, so that, uh, 2012, we launched Roma, which is Rosales and Martin, the two last initials of our first two last initials of my last name, R-O for Ro, Rosales, and M-A for Martin, Roma. Gotcha. Craft to back. And that's right? what I was wondering where that name came from. Yeah. And so that's, uh, so we wanted to really, so, you know, we only make a million cigars. So we knew early on we wanted to be kind of, you know, kind of on a smaller scale. We didn't want to be mass market. And the Texas, the TX for the Cairo, Roma, Roman Catholic, is a TX symbol. We're based out of Texas. So we wanted to represent that we're from Texas. So that's where the logo comes from, right? So, you know, so you kind of, you know, here we are kind of fast forwarding up to 2019. And you look about, you know, like how much, where we started at to where we are today. It's just like night and day difference. And um, and so that's uh, that's kind of the, the, the brief origin story. <laughs> well, and what's cool about it is whenever I first started smoking Romacraft, I guess it's been about four years ago. The band is actually what drew me to it because it wasn't flashy and gold and gaudy. It was just kind of like mysterious. Like, what the hell is this? Yeah, so I don't know if you guys know, but Danny Vasquez, the guy that we were talking about earlier, who's also on this podcast, I hadn't said two words. He had a uh, <laughs> he had what a, up? he has a cigar line as well. Then you want to talk to him about that for quickly? Uh, yeah, super quickly. It was uh, essentially just a passion project that I took too far, um, just a, or a hobby that I took too far, and uh, built a passion up and learned, started learning the industry side of it, and uh, it took me took me a couple of years to really get my bearings in on the um, production side of cigars and then I uh, launched a cigar called The Voyage and um, it was a crash course in being in the cigar industry super super fast um, did it have gold foil on it it had silver foil on silver it. foil <laughs> okay you see but that's that's kind of the the initial kind of thought is is like that's the the trend right so uh, there's coins Somehow, I don't know uh, where the coins came from, what that, what, what you actually won or what they represent. But, uh, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to pick on Danny. I'm just trying to, to make this connection that that's, that's kind of the, the mindset, right? And so um, where we wanted to take this simple but substantial kind of approach, right? So just a very plain but very thick box, right? So a box inside of a box with very simple font. And, and basically a very simple band, right? So, you know, and, and kind of the idea was, is like, you know, if somebody walked in wearing a black suit and a white tie, or black black suit, black tie, white shirt, you know, we would kind of turn around and kind of look at that guy going, where's he going? You know what I mean? Like, it just kind of demands attention. Even, you know, it could be wrinkled all, all t- you know, to death, but at the same time, you know, you would look at it and go, man, that guy looks well put together, right? And so that was kind of the idea with the band is, you know, how do you create something that's simple but substantial that kind of still draws people in? So the idea and this concept about layers, right? So ab- about having depth. So how do you use a lot of depth 
without actually using a lot of noise. Like, you know, and, and so this concept of like, like if you were listening to a symphony and all of a sudden you hear bong, you know, in the background, like that doesn't really quite go well together. Right? Gotcha. So there's these noise frequencies. So the idea with this was, is how do you kind of peel back the layers, right? It's like, I mean, we got guys that one complain that they can get the bands off all the time. But then when you kind of educate them about how to take the bands off, like you just kind of slide it over the cigar, over the hot part. Then they look at it and go, oh, there's a secondary band on there. What's the band got? You know, and then they start looking, oh, there's cave art. You know, and, you know, and it's, it's so, so there's a ton of detail without actually being like really high frequency kind of like that are out of place, right? So yeah, that it's was not kind colored. Of the so right. You really got to look at it to you see do. it. Yeah. And uh, we actually talked about that a few weeks ago on the show that it was an Easter egg and we didn't want to spoil it for everybody, but I didn't know that there was the uh, caveman art on the band and probably till two years after I'd been smoking yeah. Romacraft. I hear it all the time. You ruined it, Mike. Now nobody has to go buy the cigar to look at it. Like, <laughs> there it is. Yeah. No, but I mean, you know, that that's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's still people out there struggling to get the bands off, but once yes, you figure out how to get yes. the bands off, mind blown. Boom. There it is. Hey, well, I'm hoping we educated a bunch of people on that because I know a bunch of people that's always complaining they can't get the band mm-hmm. off. So we'll spread the we'll spread the love there. Well, if you look at our bands, it's actually a very thick wine paper. Right, so most cigar bands are super thin, um, and so they kind of peel off very easy. Where this is, it's very dense and it, it adheres very easily. Right, so the uh, you know, plus there's a lot of white. So one, so there are a couple of pet peeves. One, when you take off a cigar, and the back of the cigar is taped or or glued to the back of the band, and you're and it rips off. Right, right. I can't stand that. For some reason, it usually happens in higher priced cigars. Um, but that was a, that was pet peeve number one. Pet peeve number two, when you kind of work with dark tobacco like we do, it has a tendency whenever your fingers get wet that it'll stain and then it'll kind of smudge the white. So the girls in, or people who actually do, I don't want to you know, type, but uh, the people who actually put the bands on, most of them are women because they're very detail-oriented, uh, actually have to wipe their fingers off every time that they put on another band. So it's a little bit more labor-intensive, so they can't you know do it quickly, but... It keeps from having smeared tobacco stains on the white part of the band, which would be very, you know, for me, it's a, it's kind of a pet peeve, right? It goes against the the whole craft part of it, right? So you have to take your time and, and be more diligent. But if you do, then the presentation of it comes together full circle, right? I got you. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, was it your intention from the beginning to create a great cigar at a great price point? Because I think your cigar line is probably one of the most valued price points on the market. Yeah. So when we when we first launched, you know, so because I I had already had a, a, a you know on the the manufacturing selling side, I also had a small brand that I started off with called Adrian's, which was named after my son. So it was Adrian's Costa Rican Cigars. So. One of the things that we kind of talked about early on was like the economics of what it costs to go, you know, from from each territory to go from location to location, location, right? And I think that a lot of people don't really do the math to really kind of understand that. And I'll give you kind of what I, a, a sample of what I mean by that. So let's say, for example, this is our sales team, and and you have the Northeast, right? So you got to go uh, up to you fly into Newark, you hit, you know. Jersey, Philadelphia, maybe New York City, maybe Delaware. So, you know, you buy a ticket, $600, $700. You get a rental car, that's $350. You got gas, you got tolls. 
uh, then hotels. So you've got, you know, $200 a night and that kind of market is really kind of what you're going to realistically kind of pay, maybe even 250 So if you're going to be there for four or five days, before you even touch down, you've got, you know, $2,200, $2,500, right? That's already kind of there. So for, you know, so when you're away from, you know, your home base, right? So in order to break even, you've got to really even do, you know, ten to $15,000 in sales to even make it even worth your while to even go up there, right? So if you didn't have a market already established, you don't have accounts and you have to go, you know, door to door to every cigar shop and ask them to please carry your cigar, um, you know, it really sets the tone as to, you know, why would I want to carry your cigars? So let's say, for example, our cigars MSRP'd at $12.00. You know, the very first thing they're going to tell you is, well, I've never even heard of your cigar. Why would I carry that? Oh, and it's $12? Do you know who else is at $12? you got to compete against this guy, this guy, this guy. Now, at any price level, you still have to compete, right? But if I said, hey, you know what? Just give it a shot, right? You say, okay, send me four or five boxes. You send four or five boxes. You hope to get paid, uh, right? And then um, by the time that they get it, you know, they put it on the shelf for the first week or two. It says, hey, we got a new cigar in here. Try it. And then if the guys don't come back to it again and again and again, then usually what will happen is it'll finally make it from the new table location over onto somewhere on the wall and then on the top shelf for the first week. And then something new comes in and it gets bumped down to the, the middle shelf. And then, you know, no one has really come back to it. And then it makes it down to the bottom shelf. And then they close it out and they sell it. It's in the, the grab bag for 50% off just so they can get their money back out of it. That whole kind of spiral is kind of something that we had had identified early on as, you know, why do it that way, right? Like that's the the standard, typical kind of way to market, go-to-market strategy for some reason, right? Now, um, for good or bad or indifferent, but it was just something that, you know, I had spent a lot of time doing that here in Texas. Now, you can get to three or four great markets quick quickly from here. You can go to Dallas, you can go to Houston, San Antonio, and then here in Austin, but and and I really wouldn't call Austin a great market. It's a solid market, but it's not, you know, it's not the Northeast, like where there's a great cigar shop, you know, five miles away from every yeah. everywhere. Dallas and Houston have that, uh, but not down here. But the idea was, is that, okay, what if we, because we're making our own cigars and where there's not another factory producing them, but we actually make it out of Nicosuania, which is our factory. Why not set the price point at something that's super competitive that, other boutiques are two to three dollars more expensive for the same style of cigar, right? So it kind of does a couple of things. That's number one. Number two was we wanted to go kind of direct to the consumers, which is why we're super active on social media. I Me, mean, not so much, but Skip and Danny are. Uh, but there's this this uh, you know we're using social media to kind of reach these heavy cigar sure. consumers that are collectors and smokers and, and guys that are kind of in this group, but they're using social media platforms to engage other cigar smokers. Right. So if you can kind of go from the bottom up versus the top down, then, then you got guys that are asking for that product, which makes it easier to get on the shelf. Right. And so then once you put it on the shelves and they make that connection, now the cigar shop becomes a conduit to a, my consumer. Does that make sense? So, oh, absolutely. So, so instead of saying, okay, please take my cigar, you know, now people are going, hey, man, I got guys coming here asking for your cigar. I got to have it. Like, what's, what's going on? You know, like why, why all of a sudden are these, you know, 10, 15, 20 guys coming in here asking for this product? So, but it, it changes the dynamics of the cigar from please take my cigar to, hey, I really got to have your cigar. 
And when they say, I really got to have your cigar, then that means they're, they're, they're willing to, you know, kind of invest in it. Now they got skin in the game. Now they got to turn it and they got to, you know, now they're proud to have it versus just something of, Hey, I did you a favor. Thanks a lot for coming by to see me. And you know, here's a small little order. Right. Right. So knowing kind of that. So to answer your question, yes, we designed it on purpose. So in order to do that, um, because we, we, we make our own cigars, we set the standard. And because you have a name like Kraft in, in your name, you have to put out a Kraft product. Now, all factories are making the same type of cigars, right? However, if we were mass produced and put out there, you have a, it's a little easier to, to kind of cut corners, right? And whenever you start cutting corners, uh, maybe you do it the first time, nobody notices. Second time, nobody notices. Now you cut two or three corners. And then all of a sudden... You know, and I tell the guys at the factory, and that was kind of the hard thing was the setting the culture in the factory, right? So you go into a factory, and a lot of guys have their heads down. You know, and we try to make it really light and have fun and, you know, make sure you bring your family up. Have, you know, we feed the, fa- the factory and feed their family, and we have a lot of fun. But, you know, they just kind of want to work, you know, put their head down, bang out the product. But we, we early on, we went in and said, okay, hey, there's X amount of money tied into the bunch of the bunch. Everything starts at, the, you know... At, at selecting the right tobacco, right? So if you, you've you heard Papa John say good good ingredients, good pizza, or whatever they say, it's the same thing. If you make if you have good quality tobacco early on, it's much easier to make a good cigar on the back end. But in the buncher's hand, whenever he starts that, you know, it's the construction, right? It's how it burns. It's the combustion. It's all these things that really, really matter, right? And so by the time that you, you know, you start off, you've got X amount of money invested at this point, but then you roll it, you age it, you package it, you ship it, it's freighted, it's trucked around, it's finally sold. You know, there's there's 16 to, you know, 24 weeks involved just in that that process alone, right? So it's a, t- a lot of time and money is is invested. And it all kind of comes back to this one guy who's got the tobacco in his hand from this this very chair, right? So how do I how do I explain to somebody who doesn't understand the US market or the, you know, the cigar sales side of it to say Hey, if I sell this product to you who may have five to seven, eight stores, and he's got a he's got a brother that's got three or four stores, right? And 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 they come back and they go, Hey, Rosales, you know, every cigar that, that one of my guys, you know, they bought a box and you know, seven cigars are plugged, they don't burn right, they're they're flawed. You know, we we noticed it on the last shipment, but on the same shipment, we're having the same kind of issues. And um, you know, I'm gonna pull your products from my store, you know. Oh, and so is my brother who's got, you know, seven stores as well, right? And so all the time and money that you invested on the U.S. side is now lost. So, so setting the culture early on and trying to explain to them this kind of pass through of time and effort and energy and, and how that can be totally derailed by one guy selecting your cigar, paying for it, lighting it, and going, I had a bad experience, right? So in order to do that, we kind of had to put our money where our mouth is at and say, hey, you want to smoke this cigar, we'll do everything on our end to make sure that it's repeatable and sustainable, that every time you smoke it, it'll be impeccable draw, you'll have a very good experience, and you won't pay out the wazoo for it, right? And and because we don't have sales reps that are on the boots on the ground, per se, we're able to kind of absorb that and offer our cigars at a better price in the market, which allows us to capture a better market share at a faster rate. So. I was going to say, I love the quality of Roma Craft, and I'll tell you, I've smoked some cigars that were, let's just say, you know, 
the vein on the forehead pops out because the, the draw is just so tight. Yeah. And immediately when I have a bad cigar, the first thing I want to do is go have a Roma Craft because I know that's not going to happen. And it's like, oh, now I can relax and enjoy a cigar. Well, you know, uh, we spent a lot of time in Europe. We have a cigar line that, that we, we introduced into Europe called the Wonderlust, which has the blue band on it that is, is not coming to the States, unfortunately. But one of the things that, you know, from a, from a Cuban smoker perspective um, versus United States perspective, like we do these kind of how it kind of works over there is you're not really allowed. Some shops you can, but for a lot of countries, they've outlawed smoking in, in, in the cigar shop. So they have these private clubs that are offsite. So they'll have 40, 50 guys that are come in that, that they do dinner and, and you kind of talk about the origin story and what's Roma and how you, you're different from other people and, and kind of what we're talking about here. Um, and, you know, what's really interesting is is that whenever a Cuban smoker goes and they, they pick out a box of cigars, they, they'll go through two or three boxes to pick out the 7, 8, 10, 12 cigars that they want to make. But like they build a box out of other boxes based on color shade, feel, texture, whatever else. But whenever we ask them, how many cigars out of that 20, 25 boxes, or cigars that you, you, you pulled from to make your box, how many of them are, are bad, like unsmokable, that, you know, it's overwhelmingly by, you know, it's pretty common. Like that's the common response, right? And you're like, so hang on a second. So, so you have a, a, a 25%, 30% margin of error for a product that costs you three, $400 for a box, you know, two, $300 for a box of cigars. However, in the U.S. side, I'm not allowed to have any. Like the, the the margin of error is super thin, right? Because True. the competition is so fierce over here, right? Because you can go through any cigar shop. You know, Famous has 21,000 different unique SKUs or something crazy like that. And most shops have like 750 to 800 different SKUs, right? So, um, you know, over here on the U.S. side, but I'm not I'm not allowed to have. Like at least that's how I feel, right? That's right. the that's the pressure that's put on us is because. One, we're fairly new company. You know, we've been around since 2010, 2012 officially. Um, but we're competing against ourselves over and over again. And so, it, it, you know, I, I for me, there's a lot of pride that goes into that, right? And, and you know, take ownership of, hey, we put something in your hand and you, you take your hard-earned money and you want to spend an hour, hour and a half on my products. That's a big deal. Absolutely. Right? Like that, that's, you know, you, you have 850 different options you could smoke from. But the guy comes in, he picks up one of my cigars, and he smokes it. Like, that's a huge, like, that's the, the ultimate compliment, right? And so, you know, my response to that is, is I want you to have a good experience over and over and over again, right? And so it's setting a culture and, and setting and creating a mindset of, of why it's so important to us, right? So, it, again, you couldn't have craft in your, in your name if that's not something that you're willing to uh, to exceed those expectations. Absolutely. Right. So, so, yeah. so I mean, it, it, it means, like I said, it means the world. Like people come by here and they want to spend an hour, hour and a half, you know, I mean, they can go, they can go anywhere. Right. Like, it's like, man, that's, that's a really cool feeling. It's like, yeah. you know, you know, I'm appreciative that you made the time. So typically when people come in, like I try to, you know, even though I got stuff to do, you know, I want to, you know, clear, make out some time. So that way they feel like, Hey, you know, um, like, like they're, they're, they're equally, engaged right so they made the effort to come to me that's the least i could do is make a little bit of time for them right and same thing for the cigars it's like we we want to make sure that now there are there are challenges with that right because i can't control the shop's humidity levels uh and our cigars perform because they're thicker tobaccos at at at, you know 
they don't necessarily need like we dry box the cigar that i picked up and smoked was on my desk all day long right because it's a thicker tobacco so it can actually stay out of the humidity uh relative humidity without really performing that you know um and performing well i I, you know i truly believe that you know 65 63 is a really good humidity level for our products so if it's you know i think humidity levels kind of are the 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 biggest kind of temperance or bigger kind of factor is whether or not the cigar burns burns correctly and everything else right so i can't control the shop and how they or and or the consumer when they buy them and how they are handled once they make sure. you know, yeah. that. but you try to do everything you can to make sure that it will perform everything whenever they smoke it so we think you're doing a great job yeah no thank you so danny's been with you for how long uh he can answer that question he been, buddy. <laughs> uh a little over a year and a half now yeah so september of uh, he's from maryland. 2017 yeah he told us earlier he's from maryland yeah and i'm kind of a mutt i mean that's where i came from <laughs> but i was born in new york raised in florida i lived in georgia for a while then He's like Tupac. He gets around. <laughs> he gets around. Yeah, because you can tell that New York accent in there. Yeah, no matter how hard you try to hide yeah, it. You should, you should see it in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just did the stint where we went um, from, from uh, it was all over the place, but basically we flew into Newark, went over to, to Easton, PA, and then up to the Poconos, all the way up to Syracuse, over to Buffalo, Niagara Falls, down to D.C., and... Um, you know, he immediately was kind of in his zone. I let him drive because I knew if I was driving, he'd get car sick. So yeah, no, um, um, so anyway, so we had we had a good time, but it was like instantly kind of, you know, this aggressive, <laughs> you know, trying to go about one twenty, you know, in and out of traffic, you know, <laughs> get out of my way. We were never late yeah. anywhere though. Yeah. So. Well, he was telling us earlier the first time he met you, it was for a car ride. Well, yeah, he picked, he picked me up from the uh, the hotel. Hadn't met you yet. And he I didn't was, know who I was. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, and that's what I told them. I was like, I didn't, you know, I didn't really know much about Roma because I was so busy kind of in my world. I didn't know you, and I'm like, I didn't know Mike. Mike, sure enough, didn't know who I was until kind of that meeting. I don't open the book of face. <laughs> <laughs> I try to stay away from it. But, you know, that was kind of one of the things. Was, so we had this guy named Coy who worked for us for a while, and then he, he, uh, he worked at a cigar shop. Uh, up in, in Princeton and in New Hope, Pennsylvania called the Taste of Cuba, a little Taste of Cuba, which actually does a lot. They do all of the uh, Tobacconist University. Mm-hmm. And so I'd seen him in with, with uh, you know, in action, selling cigars in his shop, and he's really good one-on-one. And so he had mentioned that he was looking at doing something a little different. So I said, why don't you come down to work? Because this was early on. We didn't have any help. It was just me and Angela at the time. And... Um, so he came down and worked, and then so he decided he wanted to go back home to Charleston. He didn't really kind of fit in uh, with Austin. So Charleston is where he went to school, so he wanted to get back to Charleston. So he left, and he ended up taking a job with a company called Black Label. And um, anyway, so we, we needed somebody, and, you know, Danny uh, had just made this announcement that, you know, with the FDA kind of looming, and, you know, it was kind of a good time for him to kind of, take a step back from what was going on with, with his cigar brand. And, uh, so we immediately kind of, and said, you know, why don't you, uh, you want to come work with us? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, uh, I was doing some events in Tulsa, Oklahoma and, you know, we, we linked up and Tulsa flew him in and, and kind of went around and, um, you know, it was kind of a, a good opportunity for him to really kind of see what Roma is all about, mm-hmm. you know, because he got the chance to see kind of the, you know, the cigar nerds and fanboys, yeah, yeah, and uh, kind of see, you know, the product, kind of, you know, and so 
I mean, we, we immediately kind of clicked. I mean, we have very similar personalities, um, you know, and, and so we kind of walked away from it and said, you know, I think, you know, if you're willing to, you know, relocate and come to Texas, um, to come work for us. And like I said, I mean, he's, he's, he's been a, a big piece to, to what we've been able to do over the last year and a half. And Danny, had you been to Texas much before? I'd never been to Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but what's funny about that, that story is like, I'm like, it could have went one of two ways, like either the way it did or a complete, just, Hey, just fly him home straight from Oklahoma. <laughs> 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 just forget it. We've been fighting this whole time. You know, but you know, I, I think again, there aren't a whole lot of people in the cigar industry that you don't want to be around. I agree. You know what I'm saying? So, That's, so th- there are some. Th- there are some. <laughs> There's a few. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, for the most part, you can kind of get a, along with most people. Well, you know, and I, I tell people the reason that we started the podcast is because originally I was doing a uh, blog of cigar shop reviews. Did you ask for a free product for a review? I did not. No, I did <laughs> not. You were re- you were reviewing the lounges. I was going around different lounges and interviewing the owners. Excuse me. So you know, I think that uh, that's a pretty cool concept. How how did that go? It went real well. Uh, but what I learned after about six shops was I wanted to bring the people with me mm-hmm. because I was meeting these fantastic people, and like we talk about all the time, the community was there, and I was just like. I don't want to write about a shop and say that you should visit it or you shouldn't visit it. It's more like I want to bring the story to you instead of just writing about the shop itself. Because we were doing, you know, how's their humidor, uh, how's the lounge, how's the selection. And it was really good. But at the same time, I felt like, man, I want to bring people with us to interview these people so that they get to hear the story. What's your background to this? Me and Rob met at the Leaf. Okay. And, uh, I was searching because, like I said, I'm from East St. Louis, Illinois. So I was searching for a cigar shop, and I found a leaf in Abilene, and I found someone that shared a lot of like mentality. First of all, because we both railroaded at one time. I railroaded early on. Did you get a pocket watch? Oh, yeah. I had a pocket watch and the overalls. Okay. All right. <laughs> I didn't wear the hat, though. Okay. I actually have a uh, – my godfather gave me, whenever he passed away, his uh, his father's – and he, I guess when you retire in your 25th year, it's either gold or silver. And, right. Um, yes. And so I have one of those. It's in one of my collectibles. Oh, nice. It's, That's uh, cool. Yeah. So it's in a little glass. And see, piece. my family was a uh, railroad as well. So my father and grandfather. So we started uh, a conversation that blossomed into a relationship. We are good friends. Mm-hmm. And, he can uh, put up with a real asshole. Yes. Okay. And that's, Who, who's that's, the big spoon? That's what I really want to know. Right? <laughs> okay. Me coming from a cop mindset, I can deal with him. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it just blossomed from there. He had always said he wanted a podcast. and he, he, We love cigars. And he started off. And then, what, eight, 16 or 17 episodes in, he had me on as a, uh, as a, uh, a guest. Okay. And it blossomed from there. Okay. Now, what shop did you hang out at in St. Louis? I actually just bought my own and went home. Okay, but because what, I what shop the, did you go to though? Like, I mean, it was it was more than one. Name a couple. Uh, did you go was, to the Hill? I went to the Hill. Okay. I bought at the Hill. Did you stop and get some Italian food while you were up there? Oh, you have to. You have to. You, you gotta, can't. You yeah. can't go to the Hill and not eat Italian food. So, so for those that don't know, the Hill. Yes. Um, you know, in St. Louis. <laughs> uh, back whenever you know after World War II, there was a lot of guys, a lot of well. One, because of the railroads, there's a lot of Italian guys that mafia dudes. That, yes, you know, I was yeah. going to say the mob. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, we weren't going to call nobody out. We weren't going to name no names or anything. But uh, 
anyway, so there was a, but there's also these row of houses that are kind of these uh, that they did for the soldiers when they yes. came back. Mm-hmm. And so this, there's a very unique type of architecture in the houses that are really kind of and cool. the windmill. Did you see yeah. the windmill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and so I, I really enjoy, like I was telling you, like when you go to St. Louis, there's so many. One, the city is very, you know, it, it's so diverse. Um, Multi ethnic, right? And so, it, but the food content is really. Um, it's a it's a foodie town. People mm-hmm. don't know it, but it's it's a foodie town. There's yes. some really good places. And you go from the extremes, like you were talking about the Italian food. You can find great Chinese food. You can find great soul food and barbecue. It's everything there. Careful, we're in Texas, so we're touchy. <laughs> we're touchy with our. I am barbecue. so sorry, but. I'm saying those barbecue 100%. Oh, you like you like the sauce? Is oh, that what it is? Whew. Yeah, he's all about you, the sauce. You raised off the sauce. Man, so you know, the, living in Georgia and South Carolina, like in that South Carolina border, they're all about their sauce. So you come here, but it's still good here. But it's just so different. Well, here's the thing: if you're looking for beef, it's hard to beat the beef around here, right? Tell now, if you're looking for pulled pork or you know pork ribs or whatever, you know, you got to go it, up north. Yeah, Carolinas, all that stuff. You know, I went to uh, I was in Memphis one time and I was really stoked. I landed like I'm like, um, I'm like, hey, you know, where are you taking me for some barbecue, yes, right? Yes. But they're like, we've seen the barbecue you in Texas. We don't got anything <laughs> like that, right? So they took me to go get hot chicken. I'm like, hot chicken? chicken. You know, like, yeah. that's that was the thing. It was like, you know, it's, it's basically like fried chicken that's spicy, you know. Yeah, so dipped in spicy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which, I mean, it was good. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, um, you know, same thing with, with you know, uh, Kansas City barbecue, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's on a whole different. But I'm not, I'm not big into sweet sauce, sauce. Mm-hmm. right? So I want my barbecue... Like I want to taste the flavor of the of the depth of the meat. It's like steak. I don't put a one on my steak. You know, I mean, around here you get smacked in the face. You know, you put some <laughs> right? stuff, you know. Um, however, there are places that you know that's that's why they get down. That's you know, so yes. uh, you know. But to me, kind of, well, the concept is around here is if you got to put barbecue sauce on your meat, you're covering up the flavor of the meat, <laughs> right. right? So, uh, you know. My kids love ketchup. They put ketchup on everything, and I'm just like, God bless you. I don't know how they do it, but I mean, macaroni and cheese, you name it. They put it on. Like, oh, so my way to adapt to that was I put my sauce on the side. Okay. So sneaky. I, yeah, cut okay. it, dip it, eat. There you go. No, no, that, we don't judge. No, no. <laughs> yeah. And I actually ate some steaks with some guys from California, and they were putting barbecue sauce on the steak. Was that in California? No, it was here in Texas. Okay. Yeah. So, so in California, they have this stuff called tri-tip. You, yep. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like brisket, but it's they call it tri-tip. To me, it's overcooked. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's not is it, you know, and, and you know they're like, oh, this is great, right? And I'm like, it, it's like beef jerky. You know, I'm not trying to to, to dog <laughs> but on the them, but, it, but it's it's, it's, a, the truth. it's a tougher type of, of of way of making the food. And again, the cigar industry has allowed me and blessed me with this ability to kind of go around to all these places around the United States and really you know, try different cuisines and foods. And, and, uh, um, so, so it's a bless, you know, so that's the reason why, um, I was like asking people like, well, where, like, where did you hang out at? You know, the Hill's a good place. Uh, P Stanley's downtown. Stanley's yeah. Downtown. So if you want to yeah. go, you know, you want a cool bar scene like that, yeah. that's a, that's a great shop. Uh, recently Riverman cigars, uh, it was called something else. I forget what it was called. You acorn, I forget what it's called, but that was uh, that was on the east side of town. That was been, that was kind of an establishment for cigar shops. Um, now and then now there's 66 cigars. That's probably came after you left if you were here 2010 because they just opened up. But Jay, who used to run the hill, opened up 66 cigars, right? So anyway, so that's kind of the the one of the cool things about you know I got to take Danny all around to to a bunch of shops up in the northeast that uh, he may or may not have been to prior to. 
what did you think of that experience? It was it was great. I mean, it's just a whole different uh, a whole different mindset. I mean, it's funny how different regions kind of or different markets have different uh, cigar smokers. Um, you know, the cigars are typically the same. You know, um, in there, but the way they sell, how they interact with their customers, and all that was really interesting to see. I mean, we saw some uh, that was you know a gr- you know a real small shop, and it looked like kind of huh. But then you go and you look at their selection, and it's like, man, they got Opus in this cabinet, and they got all kinds of Padron in this cabinet, and they got a full bar, and it was packed. Um, and uh, I think what that was like a Saturday night, but they, I mean, they were completely packed, almost, almost like we were lucky to get chairs. And uh, you know, uh, but even like Sanjes, right in New Jersey, it's just where I've been there before. But he's he has like 125 members of uh, in his shop that are as passionate about the cigar lounge as he is. So there's guys that do not work there, but they're cleaning ashtrays, they're moving stuff around, and then all of a sudden they're turned into a big domino tournament in the front, you know, and they, there's guys, you know, just watching, you know, whatever in the back, and they, they get real, uh, they almost feel like a part of ownership to their to their lounges. So it's a, it's a, it was a great trip. Um, it, and even like, uh, well, Rockies, the, the owner of Rockies up in Syracuse actually has a separate like uh, cabin that is kind of a members only kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's a log cabin. It's a log cabin. Really? Yeah. It's two, two floors and they'll do events out there. And so they have a huge field to kind of park in. And um, those guys, just, you know, absolutely feel like just, I mean, they're like a little family. That's that community again, yeah, as yeah. we were talking about the neighborhood. Uh, yeah, so that was really that was a really really cool experience. But I, I think that here's the thing about cigar, going, kind of going back to cigar lounges and kind of critiquing cigar lounges. You can always tell a good cigar shop based on when you walk in and the members go around and they shake everybody's hand. Oh yeah, right. Yes, and yes. and and you know, um, there's a lot of shops down here in Texas that don't do that. Which really, if you think about you know, kind of the the hospitality and the Southern charm and all this other stuff that, that you don't necessarily kind of like, they all know each other, you know, and, and really um, the more diverse that the shop is, typically you'll find that, that there's a, a, a bigger camaraderie. Right. And, and it, it's a, uh, and what I mean by that is, is it, down here in Austin, there's a bunch of guys that go around, like all the shops here kind of share the same guys. Right. So you'll see them in this shop, that shop, whatever, you know, it just depends on what kind of day, they kind of bounce around. So wherever shop has like a whiskey Wednesday, you know, they, they all kind of bolt down, drink up all the whiskey, buy a couple cigars, and then they go to their home shop. And um, But that community, if you, if you really kind of emphasize it, right, and it usually starts at the top, right, based on the owner of the shop, the manager of the store, you know, because, you know, with, with kind of as, as the Internet and online sites and cigar delivery guys are kind of popping up and kind of doing this more and more, you almost don't, you know, a cigar shop is a destination, right? We choose to go to a cigar shop. So one of the things that, that, you know, could you go online and buy a cigar cheaper? Yes, absolutely. Right. You go on, you click, it's kind of the Amazon, you know, mentality, right? However, when you go into a shop, you know, you want to be with those people and you want to have that experience. And so if the shop owner encourages that kind of, you know, uh, mindset and culture then you know it's it's the different you know it's the difference of having a few guys in your store versus being packed 24 7 right right so i mean that's that's kind of my two cents i mean you know now. yeah and, and actually at our shop at the leaf 
when someone comes in, they shake everyone's hand. And when someone leaves, they go back and shake everyone's hand again. And that's the mindset. And you have, just like you said, regular members, somebody walks in the door, they greet them as they're walking in the door. Because it's, it's setting an atmosphere that makes the person want to come back. You want to be a part of this. You want to be here. It's, it's, you know, you look at the end of your day, okay, I got to get to the leaf. I got to get to the leaf. And that's the mindset you want to set. And then you have great sticks in there that them coming. With that atmosphere, you have a home that's a home away from home. Yeah, no, I mean, I, there's a shop in uh, Springfield, Missouri, and it's, it's called Just For Him. You familiar with the shop? It's been I know for, Springfield, Missouri, but yeah. I've never been there. It's been there for about twenty years. Uh, so on one side of the shop, it's got like hats and 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 you know, it, like I said, it's an old shop. Uh, and on the left hand side, there's a uh, there's there's a, a whole cigar store that that um, when you walk in, you have to kind of go through the shop to turn left to go and go into the cigar side. But what's really kind of cool is they do like chili cookoffs. They do barbecue cook-offs. They, like every other weekend, they're doing something, something that is, you know, completely unique that's, that's bringing people in. And so when you go in there, you know, there's, there's 50, 60 people in there that, that are there on a religious basis, right? right. Like they're just part of it, right? And it's like this whole family. And, and, you know, like I said, man, I've been blessed to kind of go into a lot of shops. And there are oftentimes, like as soon as you walk in, like you feel at home. But they're so far away that you're like, man, I wish that shop was like, you know, <laughs> yeah, was my local yeah. store because I would tell you know, like that would be a shop that I would hang out with all the time because they make you feel so comfortable. Right. So that's what we're trying to recreate, kind of bringing that back home to here. What we're trying to do is, is, is really, you know, bring that kind of attitude and culture and mindset to Roma. So when people come in, that they feel welcome and that they want to come back and they want to they're engaged in our products. Right. And, and that they feel like they're they're part of our community. Well, you've really done a great job with the headquarters because this is a really comfortable place where you feel like you can just hang out. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I mean, I think that that um, early on when we didn't have something like this, we had to go to cigar shops, okay. right? So, you know, if you wanted to have this kind of conversation because we couldn't smoke in our office that we had previously, and we've kind of really outgrown that. And so, you know, we really wanted to, uh, when people think of Austin, you know, oh, hey, there's a great cigar company there. You know, along with Tito's and and the F1 and you know Sixth Street and all this other stuff, right? Like we wanted the people to think about, you know, there's a world class cigar company like right here locally, right? So that's kind of why you know when you go through here, there's a lot of detail kind of in, in the building and the build out, just like the cigars themselves, right? This is a direct representation of our company in this in the space. Well, you knocked right. it out. It's great. Uh, yeah. No, I just. I didn't do any of it, so um, <laughs> the only the only thing I did was add the coffee machine, the espresso machine. So it's actually being worked well, on. It's yeah. not here. No, the big one is uh, it, it's being worked on. It's actually I think the people from Switzerland probably have to come over and work on it just because of how complex it is. But uh, anyway, so the guy literally the guy had it in about a million pieces on the floor over there and uh, got it all put back together and it didn't work. So uh, he messed it up really good. Nice. So but. Uh, when it is there, it looks really good. So and it makes good coffee. So, but uh, yeah, what else do you guys want to talk about? Well, what do you guys have coming up this year that maybe we don't know about yet? Yeah, so um, we're doing. So a couple of years ago, we did the cigar called the Whiskey Rebellion. Love we, it. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, so that that was originally through the dojo, um, and we did about five hundred boxes, sold in about fifty-two minutes. <laughs> and uh, famous came back and said, "Would you guys consider making that, as, you know, for us?" And so, um, anyway, so 
you know, as far as a production schedule and a kind of timing thing, um, they they received it, they've sold through it, and it kind of got to the point to where it was like, okay, I think we we had kind of met this kind of they had a certain amount of sales that they were kind of comfortable with, and so it just kind of made sense for us to say, okay, well, you know, we feel like the brand can do more. A couple of reasons: one, we didn't have a lot of products that were uh, pre predicate products that were on the market prior to uh, the August 2016 kind of time frame. So it, it got to a point to where it's like, okay, we, we've got to, you know, we, we need to maximize this. And so we kind of took that back. So that's going out nationally uh, as of the trade show here in, at the end of June, first part awesome. of July. And so that's kind of an exciting thing. We also have another product or project coming out called Baca, potentially, if we can get the uh, Cameroon, but it's an African Cameroon um, cigar. And so, you either love Cameroon or you yeah. don't, right? So it's it's a very unique flavor. But um, getting and sourcing, you know, uh, very good, clean African Cameroon is very difficult. So we're 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 attempting to do a, this project. So we'll see how that goes. But the, uh, earlier on this year, we did uh, a saber tooth run, which is the Aquitaine line with the Connecticut striping in it. Uh, we just released a cigar called Don Bosco, which is a candela with broadleaf striping on it um, that was available through Old Virginia Tobacco. We've done the Aquatine Slobberknocker. What else, Danny, have we done? The Aquatine Mastodon, what's new? Yeah. yeah. And uh, the Craft 2019 for Riverside. Yeah. Uh, we have those in there to kind of as display, but that's the multicolored Longsdale that, that we did that was really, um, you know, it's a beautiful cigar. Witchcraft uh, coming. Yeah, witchcraft's coming July 13th. So, Oh, nice. I was yeah. looking forward to that. Yeah, um, This year is a little bit different because we didn't necessarily open them up nationally. We actually had to, because the you know the availability of this, the types of tobacco that we used for those projects was a little bit harder to source this year, that we actually had to do single-store releases for these, these projects. Now, Baca will be nationally if we can get that kind of done, and Whiskey Rebellion will be nationally as well. And so... Um, as far as projects, it's kind of the, the, the thing that we kind of have going, um, as of right now. So hopefully we can get those, you know, locked up and into production this year. Cause that, that would, I think a lot of people are asking about those based on the social media, the weasels, you know, the people right, that, right. that have seen us kind of work on the blends. Um, so like I said, it, it's one of those, uh, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's, there's pros and cons, right? So when you have, when you, when you're kind of at our size, um, everything that you, everything that, that you kind of produce and you put out, you know, now you're comp- you've set this expectation that everything's going to be a home run, right? Everything that you produce is right. going to be knocked out of the park. And so, uh, oh, you know, one of the other ones we did earlier was the EC goodness. I forgot about that one. That was in January. But uh, but anyway, so so now the expectations and the and the pressure is really on, um, in, in a way. Now. On the flip side of that, we really don't produce anything that we don't like ourselves. And if we don't like ourselves kind of being as in tune to the cigar market as we are, then there's no sense in making that cigar. Even though there may be a market for that cigar, but if we don't like it and we don't smoke it, we don't make it. It's just that easy, right? So um, that was kind of always our our philosophy was is that, you know, we'll make what we like. And if we don't sell it, we'll smoke it ourselves, right? So, um, so it's you know, like I said, that it's you're constantly competing with you know, the next project, right? Oh, sure. And you're setting yourself up to compete basically with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and, and like I said, it, it's, um, however, because we've kind of set the standards that we have, and if we say it's it's golden, you know, if you like what we put out, 
you know, we got a good track record, then then obviously we're going to put something out mm-hmm. that we know uh, is going to be thumbs up. Going to be thumbs up. Gotcha. Well, also, man, well, we appreciate your hospitality and your time. And, uh, man, we've been looking forward to this so long. I mean, I know everyone probably tells you that they're huge Romo fans. But, man, I've been a Romo fan for, like, two and a half years. And, in fact, whenever we didn't have Roma Craft at the Leaf, I was always telling Bill, he was actually the owner then. Yeah. You met Bill. Yeah. And I was like, you know, they have Roma Craft in Big Spring. <laughs> That's only an hour and a half away. It's smaller than Abilene, and we don't have Roma Craft. And he picked up the phone and called, and they were like, yeah, how many, what do you want? Right. You know, I, th- that's kind of the, that goes back to the people who engage with yes, us, yes. right? And once they make that call and, and they realize, man, I'm missing the boat on something, and they pick up the phone and they they engage with with us, then it's like, you know, I'll give you my shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not gonna go knock on your door and beg you to take my product, but I, you know, once you once you know, it's 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 kind of like dating somebody, right? Like once you kind of get the <laughs> nod, you know, hey, you know, now, now we can date versus you know, you know, kind of kind of flirting with each other back and forth, right? Let's you know, let's let's so so we we you know one of the things that people kind of get kind of mixed up is 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 you know, uh, oh they're constantly on back order or oh they they don't have product or oh they don't you know, uh, I don't necessarily think that that's true. Like we like we we make enough product, we make enough cigars, we make you know we do a little over a million cigars a year, and and we only have you know three hundred accounts in the United States, right? Um, I think more importantly, kind of the way that we structure our company is there's a, we anticipate that you're going to continue to promote and help build our brand in your shop, right? And if you, and once you kind of, if you get to the point to where it's like, well, you know, I've kind of moved on to something else and you're no longer, you know, engaging with me or my staff, it's like, okay, I take the hint. We'll stop calling you. Right. Right. Because I've got other guys that are looking for the product. And so we'll reallocate that product for that store. And then we'll go to somebody else that, you know, I don't like losing accounts. Right. So and what I mean by that is um, you just kind of went through retirement through the, through the police mm-hmm. force. Right. So, you know, by the time that they the academy takes you, trains you, gets you on the force, gets you kind of caught up. There's an investment. There's an investment in there. Right. And then by the time you say, you know what, hey, I'm going to I'm going to leave and I'm going to put my notice in and I'm going to go away. It's like, okay, well, by the time they get someone trained up to kind of take your place and to kind of, you know, move someone up, up the line, there's a six to nine month gap into mm-hmm. getting that person in that, into that, you know, caught up, right? And that, that's a, from a business perspective, it, it's almost, you know, hey, why don't I pay you a little bit more money and you stay on for another year and a half, right? Because I don't really want to be without you. I think yes. you're an asset yes. to my company or you're an asset to the force. And so that's the way we look at it with these cigar shops. Now, I can't... I can't control, I can influence what you do and I can influence the product and I can influence the, the market and people asking for the cigars. But if the shop has money issues or doesn't like the fact that, that we do things a certain way, like, you know, we actually charge you before we ship you the product or, you know, do these, these types of things that, that most cigar companies don't do, then they get a little frustrated. Sure. Or they could get frustrated, right? So if you put an order in with me, you know, and it takes me two or three weeks to get it to you, it's because there's a demand for the product that I can't control. I, mean, I can control it, but again, our product is at a fair price. There's a demand for it. There are people asking for it, and so I'll get it to you. But you just kind of have to wait. You have to give me a little patience, right? right. And I'll do everything else on my end to make sure that it, it sells and it does everything it's supposed to do. But some shops want to be able to call you and go, "Hey, I need four boxes today or tomorrow." Sometimes I can't meet that, right? Right. 
Now, there are other companies that, that do that. Sorry, I got a little tick in my throat. Yeah. And so the, um, so that, that's kind of one of the, the some challenges that we recognize with some of the shops, right? But someone like Big Springs, they know that. They know that, you know, hey, I could go two or three weeks, four weeks without having it. So I'll order three or four extra boxes so I got a reserve. That's a great customer. And I'll do everything that I can to make sure that they don't run out. They're engaged with us. We're engaged with them, right? Same thing with the Leaf and these other guys, right? I think they do a great job. So, but, you know, kind of on a, a lot of these bigger manufacturers, if you call them today and they, they can have it there tomorrow, like they have the ability because they mass produce things where we don't. Right. right? So, um, so you're trying to constantly kind of balance, say, hey, you know, it's going to be four weeks. You may need to buy four of these bottles of water <laughs> because, you know, if you're going through a bottle a day, you know, you want to have some backup. Right. Well, I don't want to do backup. Why would I want to, you know, I don't, why, you know, some people don't want to have the capital invested in that product. Right. They look at it as being tied up. But if you're moving through the product at a very quick pace, then you need to make sure you have the, the backup to make sure that you don't run out in the event that I don't have it. Right. So, but that's, that's the challenge with any small company, right? When so, I say absence makes the love grow fonder, yeah. because I know <laughs> if we get short on Romacraft, Whenever we see the shipment come in, and yeah. I mean, we're the guys sitting Sit around there. smoking, yes. and the UPS man comes in, and we're like, "Hey, is it got Roma in it?" Yeah, yeah. No, so you know, one of the things that that uh, we're we're super transparent, right? So we talked about the economics, uh, we talked about some of the the ordering, you know, challenges that some shops have with us as a company. We've talked about you know everything that we do on our side. It's to make sure that the, the, the product is repeatable and sustainable, that it smokes well, it's, it's, it's well-aged before it goes out. And, you know, there are some guys, some shop owners that will call me and go, why, why would you say that on the air? Or why would you tell people? I'll say, well, why would I not? Like, I'm proud of the way that we operate and we do business. And you're not trying to hide stuff. Right. That's transparency, right? So I'd rather, I'd rather give you all of the negatives of doing business with us ahead of time. Up front. Right? Yeah. Hey, this is, you know, it's just like if you were going to, you know, uh, if you were going to marry some lady <laughs> and you come to find out she's got $60,000, $70,000 worth of credit card debt and some student loans and, you know, a repo and, a, and whatever else, right? And then you get married and all of a sudden you just inherited all that baggage, right? right? So now that may or may not influence you. It, it, it may, but you'd be nice to know up front. You want to know up front, right? right? So you want to know, like, you know, when I pull back the curtains, <laughs> you know, I want to know, I want to know what the business is all about, right? So, I'd rather you have all the all of the information up front, so then that way, whenever you do take it on, I've set the expectation up front to say, "Hey, these are some of the challenges you're going to come, you know, with us." But these are the things that we're going to do to overcome that. Right. And together, we have a strategy of how to overcome that, and it's a partnership at that point. It's a working relationship. Right. It's a working relationship, right? So, and, and I think that that um, again, I I don't have everything figured out. I have a good handle and grasp mm-hmm. on how business works right uh my partner even better understanding i mean he worked for dell for 13 years was in the navy um you know so but together you know um along with the guys in the in the the factory esteban disla who runs our factory like we have like this this three-legged stool that you know me kind of on the on the sell side and and a really good understanding of how the, the the retail environment business works my business partner who has a really good understanding of the overall business, um, you know, from end to end works. And then, you know, the, the, our tobacco guys in the factory that Esteban that goes out and makes sure that we, you know, have the right tobacco, that we cured it 
properly, that we've aged it correctly, that we've done all these things to make sure that everything from end to end, you know, is has got good flow, right? So that's that's uh, you know, that's Romacraft altogether, right? Last year, you know, I don't know, we're kind of we're probably going over, but last year we we came out and basically said that uh, the San Andreas that we were working with wasn't any wasn't going to be good enough for us to use. So we put a letter out, the publication on Facebook, that we were not going to make the Neanderthal size probably for about six, seven months. So because we have the people who smoke our cigars on a religious basis, those guys know if we were to cut a corner or do something a little oh, different. Oh, absolutely. Right? Um, and I think that a lot of, you know, a lot of people don't give the consumers enough credit that they do know, oh, right? Trust me. The consumers yeah. know. I, I consider myself a consumer. Master smoker? Yeah, I'm a master <laughs> smoker. And there's some other brands that I've smoked through the years, and I could definitely see the corners being cut. Right. You know, La Traviata was a very good cigar whenever that came out, you know, probably 2008, 2009. And over the, the course of two or three years, it slowly started to change and evolve into a much different cigar that was being sold. and so. Knowing that the consumers are astute enough to know the difference, we knew that when we came out with the cigar, that it had to be better than it was the first go around. Like, well, we, you know, to the point to where it was like, okay, now we can finally go, right? Because, you know, a lot of retailers will tell you, hey, you know, the moment that you don't have this type of product, they're going to go find something else. And that's true. Guys want to smoke a cigar, right? So if that cigar is not in stock, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, hopefully they go to Aquitaine or they go to Intemperance, they go to Whiskey Rebellion, they go to something else that we make. Uh, but if not, if they go to, you know, My Father, Pepin, Tatuaje, Illusion, whoever, when my product comes back in and they see it and they light it up, they better absolutely like flip out. You know what I mean? Like they moonwalk. You know what I mean? Like I want them to, <laughs> you know. And so that that was kind of the... Again, that's the standard that we have set, and that is the uh, that's what we are competing against ourselves because we knew that that was going to be a challenge, right? We didn't miss a beat, you know what I'm saying? And so um, now this year uh, we have a little bit of chromagnon coming down the shipment that the girls are processing in the back. You saw them kind of getting ready for that. So tomorrow we'll be all hands on deck whenever the shipment comes in tomorrow. That's what Danny was telling us. Yeah. He's like the the calm before the storm back right there in the warehouse, right? Yeah, and so. Uh, but this is the last bit of the Cro-Magnon that we'll probably see until January, wow. right? Um, just because the the Cro-Mag the broadleaf that came in for this year's production run was not any good, so we sent it back. Well, here's the good thing: this show won't air for two weeks. Nice. So me and Bryant's going to be buying up Cro-Magnum. That's, right. <laughs> That's it. So, you know, but again, you know, on the flip side of that, right? It, it, broadleaf is hard for us to get. It's hard for a lot of people to get this year, right? Like, there's none in SLE. So, you know, the good news is, is that, you know, once kind of everyone kind of sells through all their broadleaf, everybody's kind of in the same boat. So that's, that's on the positive side, you know. And so, but we also know when we reintroduce that in January, it better be game point, you know, on point, you know what I mean? So, yeah, because everybody's going to be sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for it. Right, right. You know, and so, but again, whenever we set our price points at the price points that we do, Guys are willing to go back to it because they know they're getting what they're getting. Oh, absolutely. So, you know. I mean, and we've done a lot of talking about the value price point that you guys have. And 
if you just want a solid stick every time at that price point, you can't go wrong. Well, hey, man, I know we've taken up a lot of your time. We're going to let you get out of here, but we want to say thank you so much for being on the show. We've been looking forward to this, and uh, we look forward to uh, the uh, Whiskey Rebellion coming out at a local shop. No, that's great. I, I really appreciate you guys coming down and, and making the time for this and having us on. I mean, like I said, it, it means the world. It still does, you know, and I think that, you know, it it's uh, like I'm still like it's a blessing, right? And, and the fact that, you know, your listeners, the people that you guys smoke with would even, you know, Romacrats, even part of the conversation, you know, it still blows me away. Like I should be used to it by now, but it's still one of those things. It's a very humbling experience. And so it means the world. You guys made it down here. You spent some time. You got a chance to kind of see what we've built. And uh, you guys are using the words to kind of broadcast that out to your guys that, that are following you guys. And so I wish you guys all the best of luck and, and uh, anything we can ever do to help you guys out. You know, please let me know. Hey, man, we really appreciate it. Hey, guys. So we're back in the studio. Uh, we're going to take a break from the interview. The rest of the interview will be on part two. So I hope you'll check that out. Uh, we loved uh, the time we were at the Roma Craft headquarters. So uh, anyway, uh, we're going to finish out this show and then uh, you can check out Roma 2 for the rest of the interview and the next show. Anyway, so let's talk about what we're smoking now, Bryant. I'm smoking a Roma Craft Aquitaine. It is Roma Thursday, so you know I'm always smoking Romas on Thursdays. And uh, anyway, if you haven't smoked a uh, Cro-Magnum Aquitaine, man, it is just like one of the perfect cigars. Uh, it's probably my favorite Roma Craft cigar. Uh, it's uh, definitely a medium to full, a great draw, some spice in there, some leather, some earth. Uh, it has the trifecta flavor profile for me. And uh, I would say on the uh, nicotine level, it's probably a medium. So you can smoke it morning, noon, night. That's what I do. And so anyway, uh, tell us about what you're smoking, Big Brian. Hey, man, I'm smoking the Alpha Dog, the diffuser yeah and that's the one that had that awesome ash yes and i'm getting another one right now <laughs> i can see that yeah uh it's a six by 60 and yes, nice maduro good smoke great smoke i tell you what else i like about that cigar it just bellows out smoke oh, most definitely it bellows out smoke it lasting to three-thirds it bellows out smoke it's it's a great stick man it's a good uh after work calm down cigar yeah and i tell you what that cigar is a good hour smoke oh, maybe more yes now you 45 minutes man. now it's funny it's funny that you go from that little corona size <laughs> to that big stick hey i'm so. all over the the uh the levels that's good man you're getting you're getting somewhere come on <laughs> so anyway uh let's do the cleanup time for yes, this sir. episode yes, what we're gonna do is gonna be different this uh week and that it's gonna be this way from now on until we make a change which you know me i'm all over the place i make changes every week but for right now this is an indefinite partnership that we have with the luxury cigar club of the month so if you haven't checked them out definitely go check them out i'm a member i've been a member now for about four months and every month is like christmas you open a box and you never know what they're going to send you and so far i think every cigar they've sent me i have not had at our local shop and so 
I've always said this. It's like Christmas every month, except you're not getting a crappy pair of socks. And that's what got me to the point where I joined, and I'm waiting on my first box. Nice. Well, I can't wait to see. It should be here any day. Yes, sir. I can't wait to see what's in it. That's how excited I get about it. Uh, I wish it was like a, a box of the week. <laughs> you know what I mean? But anyway, we've partnered up with the Luxury Cigar Club and... Man, we can't be any more excited than what we are. So here's the way we're going to do our new contest. Uh, and you don't have to do anything except register. So even if you've registered before, we got a whole new setup. And so you got to go to the website, click on the registration page, and it asks you for all your information. You put it in there, you hit submit, and now you're registered from now on. So you don't have to do anything week to week. Once you're registered, you're done. And I know if you've registered before, you got to go back and do it again because we have a new system up. Uh, we are evolving and hopefully getting better. But I just want to make sure that everybody understands if you haven't registered uh, within the last like four days, uh, and this is what, uh, the 30th or the 31st, this is the 30th. 30th. So if you haven't registered within the like last two or three days, you need to go back and register on the website so that you will be entered in the drawing every week to receive a free box from the luxury cigar club. And I mean, dude, that is a great prize. Yes, it is. I used to sit back here and be jealous. Yeah. Sit there looking at what you were getting, and I could not partake in that. Yeah, right? So, uh, in fact, we ran into uh, Junior at the shop. Yes, we did. He's a member of the Luxury Cigar Club, too, and he was the same way. He was like, I can't wait. In fact, he said, my box arrived today, yes. and I'm in Abilene, so he can't wait to get home to check out what came in his box. So, if my box comes tomorrow, I'm not going to tell him what came in the box <laughs> just so he can be excited when he gets home. Yeah. But anyway, guys, we are so honored and so proud to be uh, in a partnership with the Luxury Cigar Club guys. Man, they're so down to earth, and they are a part of the community that we love. Yes, sir. So uh, we just want to say thank you to those guys. Thank you. And so what you do is go by our website, register, and you're done. That's all you got to do. We'll do a weekly drawing every week, and then you uh, will find out via email uh, if you're the winner or not. And, of course, we'll announce it on the show as well. So, uh, anyway, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what's coming up the next two weeks. Uh, we've got David Blanco coming up next weekend with Blanco Cigars. You know he's this awesome badass blender he does the uh, blends for uh, hireman solomon he does them for war fighters of course he does them for his own cigar line the blanco line and you know i love the liga exclusive mm -hmm. line and i'll tell you what i was a huge fan of the uh, liga maduro uh-huh Dude, I smoked the Connecticut version this week. Oh, yeah. Blew yeah. me out of the water. Yeah. In fact, it made me rethink, maybe I'm turning into a Connecticut fan. Because <laughs> it was, that, yeah, it was yeah. that good. So hats off to that guy yes, and the work he's doing. And, man, you guys... I just can't tell you, you got to tune in and listen to Blanco down to earth. He was in the army. He's still in the army. Yes. And, uh, but the journey that he has been through to create a cigar business is an amazing story. So make sure you tune in next week for that. And then the following week, 
I feel honored because the president of Cigar Rights of America is going to be on the show. And you guys know that that's my pet peeve. If you're not a member, you got to sign up. So we're going to talk with him and get some inside information about what's going on with the uh, politicians and cigars and the FDA and all that stuff. So that'll be another great episode that you guys want to turn into as well. So anyway, man, I guess that's it for now. We're going to wrap it up. And uh, if you want to hear Roma 2... Uh, it's already released, so just click on to the next episode and check it out. So I hope you light up another cigar. Stay smoking, my friends. Keep smoking. Keep smoking.